0: Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more.
1: Hi, I'm Daz Smith. Welcome to the Signal Line. Today's podcast is a Friday remote viewing open chat recorded on July the 9th, 2021. It has many interesting topics, including task or intent, the role of telepathy within remote viewing, project management, controlled remote viewing, and even a heated debate on accuracy in remote viewing and does that matter? Uh, have a listen to the podcast and leave any comments below. Take care.
2: I'm just wondering if an experiment can be created to test that. And this That's is fine. like a, a, an open to, to everyone here. Like I, you know, I I took a stab at it and-, and It fact already
1: I, happens though, Don. Uh, for example, you know, and I think we may have discussed it, the TWA 800 case, for example, where three remote viewing teams with three different taskers all looked at the same target. And it was a past target. Right. Uh, they, all three teams came up, and all three teams had, uh, I believe, except for Courtney's, actually two of the teams had ex-military remote viewers on it, uh, and the Courtney's didn't. Um, but all three of the teams came up with different, uh, different scenarios of what happened to tw B Hundred, which was a past event when they remote viewed it.
3: So could I come in, please? Definitely. So if you think of even in real life, because I've got two brothers, two sisters. There's only seven years between the lot of us. And we could be been at the same real-life family gathering and we each of us see it differently. So even if we're remote viewing exactly the same target, exactly the same time and all that lot, we will all have our own differences. And we've got our own sort of things that draw us and things that we don't perhaps even notice. And I know in real life, I've had times that somebody used to really feel sort of bugged about things, but then I finally got something and she'd come and tell me and I'm like, oh, I did not even noticed that. And then I finally got something I thought she'd be bugged about and I'm like, oh good, I can go and share it. And I went and shared it with her. She hadn't even noticed it. And that was the same physical happening. So, when we're viewing something that's you know totally fictitious what is fiction anyway but what inspired the person to even bring that fiction in as a target and i would also love to know what of people experienced of doing um remote viewing of targets that are on um drone stuff because that's been a completely different experience for me and someone I work with when we practice targets that have been drone material, particularly on YouTube and stuff like that. That's not just been the target, but from different views and different music taken on and different ways of portraying it. And it's like, okay, so where am I? And when we say go to the optimum position, even that is like, Oh, well, it doesn't feel the same as usual, so what what do we know? It's not like viewing you know, a deer, if you've got a photo of a deer and you're just seeing that deer from that one angle. So I'll let others come in now.
2: Sure. Well, my idea was, can you obfuscate things through mental effort? So in other words... Something that really happened. Um, you might send a team of viewers out there, uh, but if you but have a bunch of that, dedicated people, sort of like trying to. Imagine, but don,
3: how can you say that anything has really happened? because your experience of anything that's really happened will be so different to mine, so different to Daz's, so different to Oz, who is the only other person I can see on this screen. So how can we know what each person's reality is even?
2: No, I get that everybody has their own individual point of view and the way okay. di- difference of reporting things, um,
3: it's not just reporting, though. It's experience. Come on, Oz. You come in. Go
2: right.
4: on, Oz. Okay, so... Yeah, I think... I think, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the matter of perspective is I think it's always going to be an issue with the targets. Like, uh, I,
5: I'm not familiar with the TWA uh, remote viewing session that Das is talking about,
4: but I, I assume that the three, the three teams have different... Uh, data isn't there like a common thread. There has to be a common thread. No. Oh There's wow.
2: Common thread.
1: Wow. Well, the common thread is the plane was destroyed. But one team of viewers, their their output from it was that it was a terrorist attack, a terrorist on the plane. The second team of viewers, their attempt, to, uh, their conclusion was that it was a missile accidentally fired from the ground up. And the third team oh. of viewers, their their conclusion was that it was an uh, uh, an engine part failure which caused caused the end the plane to blow. So complete three different, complete different scenarios.
2: Yeah! Wow! Wow!
1: <laughs> that's and, and obviously, only one only one of those can be true. It can't be all three of those at the same time, right?
3: And but how do you know? <laughs> but you, you don't even know if one of them was really true.
1: Yeah, we don't know which one's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and
3: even wow. if a, if a bomb was planted, who's to know if something else could have happened before the bomb even exploded?
1: That's, I could it, jump it in here. I have, a,
6: yeah. I, have, I have a thought on this, is that I, I think it's, if you use Occam razor here, I think it might be somewhat helpful in the sense that it, it, I'm not sure there's a way to even have a discussion about whether or not, well, it was one why is Why are there three explanations? Because if you simplify it, it could be very well that the answer is not that there's something weird going on with the remote viewing, but that there was either bad analysis or a session miss from viewers. And I mean, even the best viewers have misses or misinterpret their data or the project manager made a big assumption. And so that could be, it could be actually just as simple as that's the reason for that discrepancy. I can't know that for certain, that I didn't have, wasn't on those projects but before there's like I would think that I'd want to exhaust those lines of investigation first with other projects to see if they repeated before I made the uh conclusion or jump to the assumption that oh well there's something with remote viewing these historical
1: objects or
3: historical
6: objects. It does, it does events, happen in other know.
1: projects though as well. I've, but I've seen also
3: of- you're simplifying even real life. And you cannot simplify real life like that. So Actually, you, you have
6: to agree. You have to come to the, you can't have a discussion about anything unless you agree that there is a truth about an event. If you, if you make the statement that there is no event that we can agree on that happened because everyone's experience is different, then you can't even really have a discussion anymore about it, right? Like it's just, you, it's just you
1: you the end of discussion. You. You well, like help. for example, the, uh, the Earth is round. Is it rain or is it flow? You can
3: have discussion. Exactly. You can have discussion, but everybody's perception, even of real life, Will may be completely different. And what I find with the remote viewing community is quite often you're trying to almost tell people off for not getting stuff, but they will have got something that is pertinent to them. And if we can start to value what everybody gets to really colour that whole holographic and beyond holographic what people are getting instead of overly judging and telling people off for not getting. Because that's what I feel a lot of is happening is that, oh, well, you've not totally got it, And it's almost a telling off thing rather than a appreciating the bits that people have got. And I would love to hear the proper appreciation of what each person gets and starting to really know what our strengths are as individuals, and also the stuff that you, you, oh, well, I'm getting that differently, or, oh, well, usually I'm not good at smells or tastes or whatever. And once we really understand ourselves as viewers and our angle, and then we start to experience other people's way of perceiving, hopefully we can colour the whole picture and make it much more beyond even holographic. But there seems to be so much time spent on, oh, you've not got that. And almost telling people off instead of applauding the bits that they have got and helping to draw that out instead of closing people down. And I really feel a lot of the approach tends to close people down.
6: What's the specific thing, Julie, of the approach that you think is closing people down? Because I don't personally see that. I see the training methods as... I mean, I think you're referring to things like as in feedback and how you do analysis on how well a viewer did on a session. You say, okay, here's a part of the feedback photo or the site you got. Here's part of your session data that was a miss that does not actually match the feedback and you can appreciate both the, the hit and you can also recognize where the inaccuracy is too. And that recognition actually helps from my experience, improve the viewers work over time, that feedback cycle of here's what was right and here's what was a miss.
3: And I it's would not love that you, you to just listen to exactly the words that you've just said because that's exactly where I feel you're not allowing people to open up and really appreciate what they are getting because you, even when you're doing your feedback to them, don't appreciate necessarily what they are getting because it's not your view of that target. So,
6: so is my I guess here's the question I then have is if a viewer has perceptions, about a site say they are remote viewing a racetrack and they have a, uh, you know, I don't know, some a whole bunch of horses or something grazing in a field in their session. But the picture is of race cars going around a racetrack. Do you believe that the viewers shouldn't view that as a miss in the accuracy of their data?
3: Well, if you keep saying miss to me, The way I used to be, sort of five, Mm -hmm. ten years ago, I might have thought, right, that's it, what's the point of me carrying on? Whereas actually, I could see those people that are watching that racetrack and that person isn't really bothered about the racing, but they're interested in connecting with the crowd, they're interested in watching what nature does while that racetrack stuff is happening. And so we can get a much broader, bigger... Breadth and depth of the whole thing. If we really help each person that remote views to appreciate their strengths and their areas that they don't necessarily get, and then they, you can get much more color on the whole picture of what that target was. And that's the beauty of having more than one viewer. Whereas so, if you've only got one viewer and you've just got that very, oh, you've, you're a miss, you're not. Uh, And I know when we've done associate remote viewing and I've perceived Kerry, who I work with a lot, oh, she's got that differently. She might not even have realized she's got it differently, but I pick that up as a monitor and then I can help to sort of write. okay, well, look at this. And I might be completely blind, but I've noticed she's got something differently. So we do this in everyday life. And to me, you're not allowing it in the remote viewing. And yet it's a definite part of everyday life.
1: But aren't we marking for accuracy to let, to let us know if any remote viewing actually took place?
3: What is accuracy, Daz?
1: Well, you have, tar- you have a target and then you have viewer data and then you re- mark that viewer data against the feedback.
3: Well, perhaps we could do a session one Friday night where you've got a target, we do it, each of us, and then we look at the data we've got and then we can start to realize what you and others are meaning about, oh, you've got a miss, you've got a, a. But, and but so that we can help Julia, each other. I think,
1: I think you're under a, a, a disillusion on the way that we say things to, to people like student stuff. We don't say, oh, you, it's a miss, you know, go away, piss off, you didn't do very good. Nothing's like that. It's always, it's always encouragement in the way they do. You know, there's yeah, always we- lessons to be learned, and even if you miss a target.
3: There's always lessons to be learned, but you talk so much about the missing, but you don't necessarily know what they are getting. But and I know I've seen the targets.
6: You do know what they're getting. That's correct, though, because there's feedback. And yeah. so if there was a race car no. in the photograph and they described a man-made vehicle that's moving with high velocity, there's a person with a helmet sitting inside of it. Those are all directly objective accurate it's okay. this so there, there is an objective reason, truth in the feedback about what's so for correct some reason, and what's not.
3: i'm getting on that target that there's a little mouse or a rat or something that's near all of that stuff that somebody's perceived but you haven't perceived it and what's you're that?
1: just focused on it but is irrelevant it holds no information for the client
3: hey?
1: unless the client's wrote down on a sheet of paper i want to know about all I want to know about a mouse infestation at the racetrack. It, it, it gives them no, no information, nothing no, of No,
3: but, but that's where you're too focused on necessarily what's that client wanting. And actually, if they've got a rat or a mouse infestation, that's going to totally wreck that racing place. They need to know about it.
1: That, but that's because remote viewing is a tool that provides information, not experience. You're talking about an experience. you're talking about a mechanism where you have beautiful experiences and everyone has beautiful experiences.
3: No, I'm not saying the beautiful. What I'm saying is you're getting more information about that site. And what you're not allowing is more information about that site. Well, yeah, well, just, I, maybe
6: it's the it's the purpose, right? It's it's why are we doing it? And I think a lot of like what where Daz and I are coming from, the purpose is to get actionable, usable information. For a client that they could apply, not so that we could have a wonderful experience to learn more about, oh, I can experience something about this site that maybe I can't confirm is with feedback. I'm not saying doing those things is irrelevant. And I think, you know, if you see value in exploring that type of application of consciousness, I think that's fine. I think it's more the purpose of in the remote viewing structure and the techniques is to acquire. Feedbackable information, and no, if you're you, outside you do... that feedbackable information, you're not really doing remote viewing. You're you're doing another form of consciousness exploration. I think is to maybe me
3: you're more makes... cause and effect, and life is more complicated than that. And this is what really frustrates me about the approach that oh, I've got a client, they're paying me, and this is all I'm going to give them. And actually, you could give them loads more if you know, like when you think of where it came from, and there was that that he was supposed to have targeted but he found the um, secret military of defense place or military place and he went up there I can't remember who it was he went up there and he then knew what he had viewed. It wasn't the site that was the hut he'd actually viewed something that was much more important and so it depends are you just here for the clients or you are are you actually really remote viewing? for what is
4: good for humanity i would like to to add something here and julie you were referring to pat price when he was trying to remote view the the cabin and he got over the mountain to the to the facility but i think that you know it's a little bit technical but there's a, a difference be, between uh, accurate and precise so let's let's forget for a moment about remote viewing and let's let's say we're talking about the measuring device or a telescope, for example, it could be accurate at, at uh, you know gathering light from the stars, but may not be precise as to which a specific star it is getting. And from what, what I understand, and Das and Brett are saying is, if it, the tool was conceived to be precise on what it is getting, of course, uh, Julie, if, if you have a, a reporter, but let's say this reporter is one of those guys, I include myself in that, that you're walking and, oh, see, a butterfly. And you sometimes forget what's going on around you. You may not be that accurate to report what's going on around. Whereas there, be a, there will be a precise report that will say, you know, the racing cars were doing this and that, and may even perceive the, the, the mice over the field and may add a, a funny note. You know, I also saw there were some mice, mice there. But the, the thing is, the tool was designed to be precise, and that's the end. Now, I agree with what Rich was saying. Human conscious, we are perceiving a lot of stuff. And sometimes it's, it's, you know there's a lot of things to discover. I think it was Lynn that said that we are just in the infancy of the tool and we may be discovering a lot of new stuff. But I just wanted to add that, at least in, in my field, both words, accurate and precise are different, are complementary, and sometimes are mistaken, right?
3: But it also depends on your whole motivation of why you're doing the viewing. And, I mean, a few of you have just sort of said, oh, when you get the beautiful stuff, I'm not on about that. I'm on about what is actually drawing that person to perceive what they're perceiving. And I see too many remote viewers that are closed down because they are told that they are not however supportively you do it, that they miss, miss. But you don't know what they're getting. And I know when I first trained, we did a live task and one particular set of people that did the same live task went to Europe. The rest of us stayed in England and we actually perceived loads of stuff to do with the Marchioness going down. But Later on, we found out there was a lot of European link in with that, with the financial industry. And so it made sense what they got. So they actually gave much more detail. Yes, it was great what we got. And that really confirmed what they were wanting us. But the other stuff that they brought in gave a much more colorful um, exploration of what really was needed. But it was only one pairing that got that European. Yeah, when I say I know we're Europe in England, but yeah, the rest of Europe. And I was amazed after when I started looking at their information as to what they got. That actually, yes, we got loads of depth and loads of detail that you would say was miss was not miss, was totally on target. You would have said they got a miss, but actually As life evolved and we found out more about that target, they gave much more information that we'd not even perceived. And that was incredible. So that's why we need to be more supportive of what we might think is a miss and just really open it out. And just using that word, you know, miss, you might not think you're judging, but people will be judged.
6: Maybe it's just a difference of opinion. Maybe, Julie. I've worked with hundreds of students. And I'm sure Daz has worked with many as well. And it's that the training methodology that I've used, uh, where you acknowledge where. The session didn't have the result that the tasker or the intention of the task was about. And you just acknowledge it. You don't rub it in their face and say, ha ha, you're terrible. I can't believe you. You never would do something like that. Of course. But you would point out in a way and say, okay, here's what happened. Here's what we would like to happen because this is our purpose, our purpose for this type of task. Not necessarily your task, Julie, but the task in this, these types of training situations, the purpose is to describe what's in this photo site, describe this feedback. And if you aren't describing that feedback and you're off like Pablo said, the butterfly as opposed to because that's you maybe you found that more interesting at the racetrack as opposed to the feedback which is the racetrack, then that's not what we're trying to train people to do when we want operational viewers. We want, if I give an operational viewer a task, describe where the drugs are located on the freight train, I want them to not to give me a long description of the very interesting Brook River of a bridge that it passed over a mile back. Yes, that may be correct, but that to me, in an operational sense, that's not usable And I'm not saying you can't even explore these more open-ended things to see what, because there are individual viewers that have gifts of being really good at tuning into individuals. Some people are really good at other different facets of the skill itself. But I think it's the training has to be framed in a way so that that you know where you're, so you can cultivate a specific type of outcome. And that is accurate data that's usable
3: in that example that you've just given so okay you find the drugs or whatever Mm -hmm. what if there was some people that were waiting for you to find that and then they were going to come in and kill the people that found it and somebody else perceived those people that were going to come in and kill them wouldn't that be helpful?
6: I mean, well, first of all, it's it's hard to answer that question because it's a, you can always play a world of what ifs. It's like, well, what if, what if, what if. I'm not really in that spectrum. What I'm doing is I am determining whether or not I'm answering the question that the project manager was interested in answering. That's what we actually are after. Certainly, no, there's always what- things...
3: That's That's what what, you're after, but I'm after a bigger perspective. And when I was viewing for a second will for someone, and I was told, no, you found the first will, don't even go for the second will, because there have been family fallouts and stuff like that. I said, ethically, I cannot carry on.
6: So I would argue, though, that that the what if question, the what don't we know that we don't know... You still can do in this framework if you ask that question, that's still a choice from a project manager to ask well, that question. And the only way someone's going to get really good at that is if they have a level of training to begin with to know when they, they've trained to be able to do that. Right. When they know I train when they're people
3: right. to a level and I know that they're good at what they do, but also I know I impress on them about being ethical. And if you think of them finding those drugs and then they're going to be killed as they found those drugs, I would rather, if it's for the highest good and greatest benefit, they didn't need to be killed finding them.
6: Well, I think we're, that's now outside the, the topic of remote viewing, though, right? You're talking about no. something else here. Yeah, you are, no, because not. we're talking about remote viewing, the purpose of remote viewing. That's what this all goes back to, is the purpose to describe accurate data that the tasker is asking you to describe, or is the purpose something different than that, which I think is what Look, you're describing.
3: To me, the purpose of us doing this is for the highest good and greatest benefit. And if I can stop those people being killed because it's for the highest good and greatest benefit of the world, them not to be killed just because the drugs are there, then surely that's for the better benefit of the whole world.
6: How do you know that that's right, though, if you don't have feedback and practice of training to know when you're correct and what your misses are?
3: Well, it depends how you um, hone in on what is correct and what's amiss and I don't understand why you have to keep using all that terminology I don't know why you you can't help them appreciate what they have got and this is very much Lynn Buchanan's approach to training is to even on his dowsing he really hones you in onto well okay you didn't get it exactly but look at what you have got and percentages and stuff like that and it is more about appreciating the accuracy of what you have got and there might be stuff that you put to one side. But while you're ever busy telling people, oh, you've got that, you ain't got that you, And you might not think you're doing it in a way that belittles them. But I know when I was receiving feedback on assignments, say, before computers were born, and I would be ple- you know, told I'd done well on this and I got to improve on that and then I'd done well on this. And then I would go back and focus on the bit I hadn't got and so to me perhaps it's my stuff that's coming in here a lot but i see so many viewers who are so hard on themselves and i've i've taught one honestly he'd been trained 20 years before and he was so belittling of himself because of how he'd been trained and i nurtured him through and but also i i was very strict with him And on the final day, when he got to do a full sort of write up of his summary of all his session, he was like, oh, have I got to really do this? And I said, yeah, well, I used to hate doing those summaries. But, yeah, if you could, please, because that will really help us. And I left him to it and I said, you've got to say it out loud. Get on writing that out. Everything. Say it out loud as you're doing it. I went back after a few minutes and he was writing and writing and saying it out loud. I left the room went back again after a few minutes. He was still writing. He did about three pages. And yet 20 years before, he'd basically been put off because he was being told so much, miss, 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 you ain't got it. And that's what I really struggle with.
6: I think one of the things that, I mean, this is in my own training, is is that the getting over your attachment to the outcome of a session is actually, I think, a really important thing For viewers. And so if there's a viewer who's reacting negatively to missing a whole lot, that's, I think that's actually one of the hurdles that you have to kind of overcome um, in in your journey of doing it. But I mean, uh, taking a step back, I think what we're maybe not on the same page here, it's not even necessarily, I think, remote viewing. I think it's more ideological, Julie, because what you're describing to me sounds a little bit uh, reminiscent of kind of the positive thinking movement where it's like, why do we have the positive thinking movement is very much, a keep your attention on only the positive things in life, why we shouldn't talk about the negatives. I'm not saying this is just more of a, it's reminds me of not that than the way that you're describing it. Whereas my perspective is, I think that you should look at both. And that you should be able to contrast both because then that sets you up, I think, in a better position to say, okay, what should I do next? Same in a remote viewing session. If you have data that was requested, this is what I want you to describe the photo, but you didn't describe the photo, then you say, okay, well, this was a session where I didn't describe the photo. That wasn't what was asked for me. Let me try again next time and see how that goes. Maybe I check my structure, check my method. Did I mess up? did I not do a a ideogram correctly? Did I mess up the structure somewhere? Like maybe I just need more practice, but in doing that, I've seen many students and even in my own work that when they address and they look at where they did not succeed in what was asked that the repetition of that and getting feedback actually improves their ability to get feedbackable data. And so it's, it may be an ideological difference, but, uh, I would just, from my own experience as a teacher, I've seen it work really well for those that can let go of their need to be right. That's a big part I found of beginners that stops them is like, they want have to be right. And when they don't get it exactly right, either they sometimes force it to be right, which is very unhelpful for them, or they don't want to continue because they're kind of being too judgmental on themselves. But as a teacher and many other teachers I know doing this, it's never done like i never would say talk to a student that way that's be very unproductive it's always words of encouragement it's always you try it again you know oh this one's better you know it is emphasizing the positive and that's important but I, I i would totally disagree on that you shouldn't uh point out when there is error because correcting for the error is important if they want to get to a point to where they're usable in what i would classify as usable so, right, so that's what- just my opinion
3: What is an error? And even I would say you've got an error in saying that I'm only emphasizing the positive because that's a load of rubbish. That is not what I do. Okay. so I'm really, you know, when you say to someone you've got an error, what sort of things are you saying to them that they've got an error as?
6: Oh, it's it's very specific. It's when you're teaching a new student, you are working with practice photographs. And these photographs, you are looking for if their data matches up with that photograph. And if it yeah, so doesn't at all a, match up with it...
7: Yeah,
3: can you it give me just, a specific example?
6: Yeah. I. It, it could be as simple as the one I already kind of gave, where it was a photograph of race cars and they, are, they had their session describes a butterfly. That is not the information or data that was being requested by the tasker, nor the but task you, with which they're have running.
3: Have you really had a session where... You've had a race car and they've described a butterfly.
6: Oh, absolutely. Those are misses all the time. That happens all the time. And it could be not even that they got it very clear as a butterfly, but that they just got a lot of data that was kind of like a spaghetti mess of information that didn't kind of form into anything either. And so what... You've
3: really had someone talking about a butterfly and what named a butterfly in this racing car thing?
6: That happens all the time. Yes, especially with beginners where they're just... All the How time. often there are you misses... doing
3: racing tracks?
6: Okay, I'm really? referring to viewers not hitting the site. That happens yeah. all
3: the so time. You're not for even telling us now what you've really perceived with your students, have you? I'd want a real example. Have you had a real racing track thing where they've had a butterfly properly?
1: Julie, I think any, any of us that have taught people have, have some of our students that have, you know, on occasion, not, not hit the target as expected.
3: I know, but he's still not telling me a proper example. Well, the, I mean, This is I've a proper telling. example,
1: Julie. This is exactly a proper
6: example. You just don't like the example. I mean, I could go and find different sessions from viewers that I've taught. I've taught hundreds of viewers, Julie. And these viewers do have done doing really well operational targets right now so i think i know what i'm talking about to some extent but it's this does happen all the time where viewers miss the task that was intended they no, do not describe what was in the feedback this is so, very very well, common people, and not controversial
3: I've just asked you for a real example and all you've done really is tell me something that we talked about earlier, not a real concrete example. Anyway, I will drop out of this so that other people can talk and stuff and I'll catch up on the chat.
2: Well, uh, it is I a real like concrete
6: to, example, Julie.
2: I, I just like to go back a little bit. It does that thing that you were talking about where the three different groups did sessions on the TWA, right? Is that, ripped up anywhere i mean it's it's on my
1: website give me a second and i'll put the link in the chat window
2: is is it all do you have the data on all three yes oh man i gotta see this okay thank you
1: um while i'm doing that uh paul's got his hand up for a while if you want to or if anyone else wants to continue this uh this kind of conversation and debate first has anyone got anything else to add on this one
8: then let's go to paul
1: because paul's had his hand up for a while
8: yeah, thank you, Des. Um a- Actually, what, my comment had something to do with the discussion that you we, we were just having. <clears throat> and uh, the, the question I or the topic I wanted to bring up was uh, uh, I it's been my experience that you can have a task to 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 work on when you remote view. And your overall remote viewing skills are are actually quite, quite good. But when you have that particular task that you're working on, you're just a complete failure. And that, um, that in fact, is a message that, that you should be heading your uh, attention in a different direction. And and so the, the question I have is, when you are using remote viewing, is the subconscious a machine that's just giving you mechanical answers to the question you ask? Or does it have some sort of... Uh, sort of uh, uh, discretion and, and say, you know, this is really not something you should be doing and I'm going to steer you in a different direction. And uh, so what I'm going to give you is for your best good, but it may not be exactly what you're looking for. I, I don't know if I'm stating this in a way that makes any sense, but the, the, that's the, my experience has been that I, if I try to do task A and I fail, uh, my subconscious is telling me I shouldn't be trying to do task A, but I need to do task B.
2: I think there are as a, abundant examples of that, Paul. In fact, I've had a, a remote viewing session where in the middle of, the target was um, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Of course, it was blind. I didn't know what I was viewing. And in the middle of my session, I wrote... Um, silver spoons, uh, like them. And um, uh, there was a, a keyword like, um, and I'm going to forget the the exact word, but I'm just going to use the word brandywine in here. Okay. It was an unusual word. I wrote it down. And when I got my feedback, um, there was nothing in the area historically or whatever that involved this word, Brandywine. And I showed my sister my session. And as I was going over this, she said, what time did you do this? And of course, I had the times written in my session. And she said, now that's very interesting, because while you were doing this session, I was at Bed Bath & Beyond looking at Brandywine Spoons wine spoons, and I liked them. And why did that appear in my session? Uh, it was not part of the target, but it had significance to me. It showed me something about telepathy. Um, I thought that was a really interesting experience. So I think this does happen. What happened to Paul? Is Paul still there? I, I, I...
8: Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. I it's just uh, I the question I have is: Does the subconscious have a discretion to it, or is it purely a machine that's answering whatever question you give it to it?
6: I think it definitely has a discretion, and I've seen this a lot of students' works, where um, even in a recent one where someone was given a task on the recent uh, John McAfee death event to see if you can describe if the, the event actually occurred the way the media is portraying it as occurring or if something else happened, which a lot of people speculate about. And what was interesting is in that viewer session is they described the prison in immaculate detail, but they refute there even upon a second tasking For the most part, the viewer refused to describe the life form and what was going on with the life form, even when directly tasked with follow on work, is that they kept going back to just, oh, this is much more interesting to describe this prison and how there's like a one way in and people can't go out. And it was a really funny way of describing the prison and and, uh, reflection in the aftermath, kind of the review of that data and that session work there's a conclusion that perhaps there was a little bit of sabotage or a withholding on the subconscious part from the viewer of describing that death event. And this viewer very much wants to be able to describe those types of tasks um, because they believe that that's something that they should be able to do if they ever want to be operational. They want to be able to look at things that aren't necessarily pretty. And, so, and I've seen this in other instances as well where there's a self-censoring that can occur the viewer just won't look at the event because some, and my guess is some part of them said, no, maybe you don't want to look at this. And so their data doesn't actually show up. I'm not sure if you've seen this too, Daz, but I've seen it many times in in viewer sessions.
1: Yeah, it happens a lot. Uh, And I saw it happen a lot as well when I was doing lots of missing persons work for the Find Me group. Certain people uh, just didn't, Within their internal being, they just didn't want to see some of the things that were happening to some of the people we were looking at. So their body self-centered it.
8: I'm not sure if that exactly covers what I was suggesting. What What I was suggesting was that you you may have a a, a motivation for 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 one direction, but your subconscious is telling you that's. I'm not going to block that but I'm just going to tell you that's not where you want to go you want to go in a different direction because it's for your best interest to to go to the second direction and that's 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 a little different than Mm -hmm. having a, a block that you need to clear so you can see the first direction it's your subconscious telling you you just shouldn't be going that direction because it's not in your best interest
1: yeah, that might, that might be happening all possible. the time. It's just that if it's not the target, then how would, you, how would you feedback that that happened? But yeah, it could happen, I guess.
6: There's a idea that's floated around in some RV circles where uh, the data that you're accessing through RV, I mean, there's a lot of different models, whether it's collective consciousness, or I like personally the one where it's like there's a library of information and the remote viewing task is kind of you're going to that book and you're just kind of perceiving this in the book. I don't know if that's correct or not. It just, I like the model. But there's another one that I've heard, which is that there may be a library, but if there's a library, there's actually also potentially a librarian where, and this is the instance where you can perhaps you get more, and this may be what Julie is talking about or has talked about a little bit, is that you get a little bit more data than even you asked for. And so maybe you thought all you wanted was the answer to that question, but then you got even more data that was actually relevant. It was the real question they were asking. I've seen that happen too, where they just get more data that was helpful in addition to what they asked. And maybe that's evidence of there being some sort of a librarian in, in this model. I don't know if that's a subconscious or something else who really knows it's, there's no way to test for it, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that did exist personally.
1: Is that enough of an, an answer for you, Paul?
8: Yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't know that there's a clear answer because it's not a question that has an easy way to get feedback, but, uh, the, it's just an experience I've had and, and, uh the, co- the question then arose whether when you remote view, you're just getting raw data or whether there's more to it, but, uh, I I don't know that we have a complete understanding of how RV works.
1: Yeah, I agree on that one, definitely. Uh, Gino, you've had your hand up for a while. Do you want to go next?
9: Yeah, thanks, Das. Hi, everyone. Just wanted to ask those that have more experience on tasking groups, picking up on what Don's question suggested, um i wonder what could should or might be the correct or best known way to approach or focus intent um from the tasker's point of view to remain like neutral no i don't know if that's the right word or of course not neutral neutral at all because uh, i guess For remote viewing, we need some kind of intention from the tasker's role for the rest of us to go to the target. So what would be that best um, way to approach the tasker role for a group? Thanks.
1: Anyone have an answer for this one?
4: I would like to share with Gino from what I was taught uh, on RV you are correct it depends a lot on on the intentions but also on the structure and the setup right uh, it's not the same you you know to get a vague target or someone that is not aware of, of the actual uh, objective I, I mean I will try to 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 answer this with an example uh, and it, it can be done with RV or without RV so when, when some mining operations start, you need to go into the exploratory phase. And through that phase, you, you get uh, you know professionals like archeologists, geologists, and so on, and they survey the area. So usually they, they first get a map of the area, they pinpoint areas of interest, and then go there and check it. The same, if you're performing an operational target that is about surveying something and trying to find what's there, it's completely different to, to get a, a different target where you want to get exact Information, for, for example, from what's behind that door, what's behind that, that rock, whatever. So that, that the people managing the task or managing the group need to be aware of this, have to, to plan ahead and create a strategy and how to manage feedback to, to make the, the, the session successful. But I would say that rather than being specific to RB, I think it's specific to any kind of operational activity in the world. Mm -hmm. No, I I get
9: that. I get that, and thanks, Pablo. And I also agree, of course. Supposing that we have all these uh, things covered up, done done well, I I wonder more about the, the role, like the tasker role, and his or her intentions, you know, because how do you maintain? How, how do you keep up with the intention on the task on the queue correctly by you no know, trying to impose your own thinking, impose your own uh, subjective experiences and try to be as neutral as possible or, or as objective as possible, like more in, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm trying to guess the correct at, attitude for the virtual aspect of tasking, not all that surrounding matters that, of course, are very, very important. But more, I'm, I'm guessing more for those that have experience on tasking groups like Das, Brett, and I don't know any others, but What's your approach? What's your way of keeping and waiting for remote viewers to, to get their data without trying to answer previously their, their views or not trying to mess the, the groups as when, well, as thus commented with the, the flight groups that there were three groups, and of course something happened because you know if you have three groups and 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 those groups looked at the same different things, how do you keep your role healthy for groups that's what I wanted to know
1: I can answer a little bit Gino um, but i can't give you I can't give you a way around it um all I can say is uh I think it is a problem within remote viewing that's probably not discussed as much as it should be. Because we know that, you know, there has to be some kind of connection between viewers and Tasker because, you know, we're working blind. So there has to be a connection there for us to know where the target is and what's required of us. I think the only way around it, to be honest, is for the Tasker to try to be as open minded as possible. And in the cases when I do targets, I try to record my intent. Uh, within the yeah. tasking document. So at least that's known, uh, you know, because essentially what we are doing as remote viewers in a part of a project is we are marking accuracy of remote viewers data based on our intent as a tasker. So I find it good that the tasker's intent is actually recorded because otherwise it might just be within their mind, and you know, mm-hmm. and then the, it might be a less accurate way to mark it. But mm-hmm. I get there again saying that, by marking my intent down on on a sheet of paper before I start the project, does that slightly enforce my intent more than it would usually? I I can't answer that one either. What I can say is I try as a, as a project tasker myself, I try to remain as open minded as possible, even if I do have an an influence. I would have thought on most targets, other than standard training targets, which you know you usually have a conclusion of. You know, if if a target's the Eiffel Tower uh i don't think the target the tasker's intent is going to be something different than the eiffel tower on that training target so i think in in the case of training targets where you have specific solid basic targets i don't think it's as much of a problem i think it's only on on targets that have less feedbackable feedback feedback inf- information that that this would probably be uh be a problem
5: Dad, do you mean intent that Or is it more like your preconceived notions as a tasker? Because surely your intent is that the viewer will tell you the truth and report accurately on it. That's what you intend to happen. And then you've got these ideas about what it might be as well.
1: The the problem is, as a tasker on any project that's not got solid feedback, because, you know, as I said, we can discount all the ones with solid feedback. But on the ones, you know, for example, if I task someone to look at the Roswell event, uh, I could say to them in the tasking, "I want you to tell me the truthful event," but at the same time, in my own mind, after twenty years of research, I have my own opinions and my own intent, and you cannot get away from that. I have that; that's part but, of me but as a person. Y-
8: your
5: intent for the viewer, what you want to happen, is that the viewer will tell you the truth, and yes. you have these ideas. So, is it like you're worried that you you're wanting to be right about your preconceived ideas is gonna well. Color?
1: I don't think it's as as simple and as black and white as we want it. Uh, Just because I want someone to tell me the truth doesn't mean I really want them to tell me the truth.
5: Yeah, maybe you really want them to be aliens and you to be right. Yes.
1: Do I really want them to tell me the truth, or is there a part of me that really wants them to tell me to confirm my story?
5: I don't know. I've I've seen your taskings with the intent thing declared, and uh, I I would find it nicer if you wrote, like, preconceptions or what I think or something, because, like, writing the word intent Followed by your
9: preconceived ideas is like scary. I
1: think (laughs) think pretty much when I write it, my intent is my preconceived ideas.
9: It could be an intent, a a neutral intent, also like I want to stay aside or I want to to be Mm. as neutral as possible or try not to think too much about it until.
1: Yeah, I think if we're totally honest as human beings, though, I don't think we can be totally neutral on any situation no, no, of course. We're going to have feedback on you know there's going to be some part of us that to wants an outcome one way or another
5: this has reminded me about uh, i think there's a parallel here maybe of if you're early on in a session so you're in stage two and um, you get in AOLs, um, you need to remind yourself there's no way that i know what this is consciously i just don't know and that discipline that we learn in viewing is perhaps transferable tasking, where you can say, I just don't know the truth. I just don't know. So just give me the data in just in the same way that you prompt yourself to an RV session.
6: I haven't tested this, but is this the project that. manager doing an AOL when he's setting up the, he or she's setting up the task? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's
8: Let me write some AOL. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: But, but you know that's that's something I think we must not forget that remote viewing is not something outside of us, right? It's part of everyone, and, and this is this is the exact same thing that happens, for example, in a finance project. You have some, the the project manager may be biased and may want something to happen one way, and when he gets gets the feedback from some of the uh, analysts, he may bias and say, "No, these ones are really off the off the target. I like what these others are saying." So it's a little bit about the trust, the experience, uh, and people that want to, to perform that role of tasking, you know, trying also to perform that that basic, you know, uh, feedback on yourself, like auto-analysis. Okay, was I biased? What can I correct? Am I really too involved in this to, to actually do it or not? So uh, it's, it's like basic human nature, right? You will always have, you know, one way or another and, and and Probably have some preference, and you need to be neutral as much as possible, or may, may need another pair of eyes. That, that's my my own opinion, right?
1: Again, all this is only really a problem on targets with not enough feedback information. Agree. On on, you know, I don't think any of this would be a problem on on like really basic stage one training targets like bridges, mountains, because I don't think the tasker would have an ulterior motive, intent, or disbelief about that, unless you know. Uh, someone tasked the planet earth and they really thought that the planet earth was flat. <laughs> that would be an interesting scenario to see what the room you come up with, I guess. Yeah, I feel like you could almost test good, for this. Right. You could yeah. set up,
6: you could set up a <coughs> project with, you know, some viewers that have, you know, shown that they can hit photos over time reliably. And then you find these things where these, uh, I don't know, you'd like in, interview the different taskers for beliefs to see if there's there like some things that aren't quite right. Like they thought that, I don't know, I, I, it'd be an interesting thing if you could maybe wiggle that out and uh, organize that in some way. I'm not sure how you do it. I have to think about it, but that'd be pretty interesting. I think It, it, it is interesting that, um, that it happens that the tasker is surprised um,
5: gets data back where they're like, well, I didn't think that was the case. Uh, like Brett, you asked me about vaccine thing, and I, I don't know. I've been slightly facetious when I say perhaps you're expecting the Bill Gates nano robot brain invading, mind control robots to come in. With. And and I came back and I was like, oh look, I, I drew the spike protein and was like, oh we like this thing. It's good. Yeah, this is fine, man. Twinkling inside. You know, I appreciate that you I- assume
6: that. I go full on uh, <laughs> tinfoil hat on that task, <laughs> but
2: I didn't. Really, I, didn't but I mean, I, I was
6: surprised I, by the fact that I was like, this is cool,
5: this is nice, we we like this thing.
6: It was more, I thought, I mean, actually it was the reverse. I thought you might've had some pre preconceived assumptions. And so I was, so I was more interested in like, huh, I wonder if this m- doesn't match or does match what your preconceived biases were and the fact that was what i was actually a little bit more interested in i really didn't yeah. have a thought either way be, to be honest but, yeah i mean I maybe I, I did subconsciously you know i don't know
5: i mean i i yeah i suppose my my feeling was there's a lot of unknowns rather i didn't think this is definitely a bad thing just it's kind of untested and it's a big experiment and there are unknowns so um i had no idea what i was doing when i was viewing it, i thought i missed the target it was a weird session but it was actually really good so um i'm happy that i was on target with it um i'm happy to result I, I did try before i got the pfizer shot i did do a very quick session um where i wasn't blind to the tasking but i was just dowsing a gingerbread man what, what what is the negative health effect of having this shot and my pen just kept flying off the page it was just like nothing it'll be fine and then i had it and my wi-fi signal has been amazing since but i feel fine i feel great
1: another part of this uh this scenario that i've, I've thought about in the past as well is uh could we change the scenario of task or intent being an issue if we change the project setups because at the moment the majority of the people tasking projects like myself Brett and uh, you know Paul Smith does his targets all these you know all these people out there doing targets, we're all what we call accomplished. Spent lots of time in psychics doing lots of psychic stuff, remote viewers of people. You know, people that you know, we we are or we claim to have you know a certain amount of psychic ability. Wouldn't it be better if maybe the taskers are psychic bricks so that there's not much chance of their psychic contamination <laughs> coming through?
5: Well, how are we going to get the tasking then?
1: Well, you'd, you'd, you'd have to find taskers that literally had no zero a psychic ability or record for their entire life to see if that, see if, if that would, uh, hinder but, but any... I mean, as
5: viewers, if somebody who is a psychic brick wall wants yep. to know some information and they're so cut
1: off that we can't read their mind, how on earth are we supposed to know what it is they want? I don't know. I don't know if we've even looked at that scenario, but you know, we have to be honest in that most of the tasking out there, most targets, most of the target pools are all being set by people that are accomplished, uh, psychics in one form or another does that have does that have
6: an input you could take the human element out of it by having something like an algorithm go and create a target pool by itself within parameters and maybe that that's enough separation between the original tasker that you could see if there's a difference um i I feel like it would be
9: that'd be the only way i could think of i I don't know i mean it'd be interesting to test it because maybe it is important some kind of intention or focusing attention from the tasker role also so that could be a good idea to test differences about it
5: there's another case which is that the viewer is their own tasker um taking the random image example if you task yourself what is going to be the first image that I see on reddit pictures forum right there's no task other than you you're setting the intent to view that image so perhaps perhaps the issue is all with the viewers perhaps it's the viewers intent maybe we're worried about telling the task what they want to hear instead of being concerned about reporting accurate data
2: yeah
1: it's all interesting it all needs in my opinion all needs further research um yeah we just don't know right now
6: it's just the big question mark of what's under the hood we don't know why rv works in the way that it works so we're all just kind of scrambling the best we can with these models based on experience which the best we can do but we just need more experiments to stack those up and get a solid understanding of the a better model. We just need better models, that's all, which just requires funding and money for more research projects. That's
1: what it's it, what it needs. And there's not a lot of that going around, unfortunately. Yeah, not right now. Okay, any more on this topic or should we move on? Because Matt's had his hand up for a while here. Excellent. Then go for it, Matt.
10: Actually, my question is about tasking too. So um...
1: okay, yeah, still go for it. <coughs>
10: Uh, yeah during that conversation uh, a few things Um, or I guess um, a few weeks ago when you showed the results of the what is it the Frederick Valentich uh, sessions and you showed specifically the uh, what the remote viewers were tasked with I was that also led on to a kind of later conversation about how to set up tasks and it seemed to be kind of very simplistic in a way. Um, but I've kind of contrasted that against, you know, sessions that I've seen with Edward, right, about the you know the inner earth uh, where he gets his friend Dustin Newcomb, for example, to set up what looks like a short story where it's multiple pages and multiple things that he wants to do, and he seems to hit them. And then I'm thinking now, well, <laughs> is that therefore because his friend uh, has these perceptions in his head? But I suppose I can't know that. My main question therefore is, is setting up the target target specific, and is that based on the uh, person setting, like the, the like I suppose the intuition of the person setting the task? Are there certain tasks where like more detail would be required, and can it I suppose dilute um, the, the information coming back?
1: Okay, that's a big question. Um, I mean, everyone tasks differently for a start you know all schools and all teachers are all teaching people the task targets differently i don't think there's any two taskers that do things the same um some of the tasks and targets i get tasked with i don't get angry with what do i get i get dismayed with sometimes because you can see that the taskers wrote down in literally six or seven things that they want you to look at as a remote viewer all within yep. one session and uh I just think that's too much of a shotgun scatter approach, you know. I think I I personally like to see uh tasking set out so that there's only one single question or directive per time you get the viewer to have a look at the target. Otherwise they might just go off, you know, looking a bit over here, looking a bit over there, looking a bit over here, but never really giving you the depth of the information you want. Um and some yeah, some targets, you know, need more specific details information than, than others. You know, for example, if you're doing a missing person target and you're doing it for the police, um, you can start off if you want doing 20 sheets of paper describing the person that's missing, the circumstances of how they went missing. And you know, it's kind of interesting information, but you'll be soon told by the police that is absolutely no uh value to them whatsoever. Because uh you know they're the police, they'll be the ones that decide how that person went missing because that's their job as an investigator all your job to do is is to be very very specific and give them a gps coordinate of where they can go and find that missing person that's all they want off you they you know they want to they want to solve the crime themselves they didn't need you to describe it so in that case they need very specific detailed information whereas you know there are other targets like if you're looking at i don't know the pyramids or or anything like that you can be a bit more general in de- describing the location the people that visit the type of atmosphere around the location and, you know, all kinds of stuff.
10: The, maybe templates? Like, has someone ever set up, like, this is a good uh, way to, re- re- like, set up a task for a missing person or this is a good one for, like, an archaeological site? Or is it just... Or is that too restrictive, I suppose?
1: I don't... Th- yeah, I, I think it would be too restrictive because every target's got his own different specific needs, to be honest. And as I said, every teacher, every school... Every group leader I've ever worked with all do it completely different, based on their own life life experiences and project management experiences as well. Yeah, and just
6: even based on what they've seen work from someone else, that then they say, "Okay, well, this worked a couple times. I saw it work. Let me just reuse that because that's who showed me this system." <laughs> I, I think to add on to what Daz said, where it's like it's become a, a shotgun approach because uh, there's like seven questions in the tasking and you're like a hop around, but you never really laser in on actionable, actionable information that the tasker wanted because they didn't phrase or set up the task in a way that was clear. I think on the other end of the spectrum too, it's just another version of this is that you also have tasks that are too ambiguous, not that are asking for too much, but just they haven't done this enough research to be able to ask the exact question clearly and so it's like well did you mean this this or this because the way you asked that question and the task could have been any one of those if you were to actually so whenever i'm trying to set up a tasking i sit down for a period of time and i try and actually poke holes in my idea about this question where could this question give me information that i'm actually not asking for and i actually try and from that angle break my own task first. And then once I do that to the best of my ability, okay, okay, now let's test it. And let me give it to a viewer now, because I think I've, uh, I've done my best, my due diligence with this task to try and make sure it's getting the information that I'm actually after. And it is specific. It's not 10 questions. It's one question, just like dad said. And at that point, that's when I would give it to, uh, give it to a viewer. Uh, who is an you know, operational viewer. But even after that, you may come back based on the session day. You're like, well, the day that's coming back isn't actually even, it's still not quite there. So let me revisit my original tasking. Maybe that's where the problem was. And so it's worth revisiting. Or maybe they had a bad day. You know what I mean? In which you maybe give it to them again later. I mean, there's a lot of variables there. But uh, it's also the ambiguity problem is a really significant one that I've seen as well from... I've had people give me tasks that were ambiguous. I was like, what does you really mean by this question? You don't even know what you mean. So how am I supposed to remote view what you don't even know what you want? It's, it, so it's, it's a challenging thing, but it's a whole skill, I think, in and of itself. Um, yeah, that's my thought on it. I definitely agree with that, Brett. Uh,
11: and in my limited experience as a novice tasker, I've started like offering the remote viewing Discord easy operational targets like I'll lose a remote or something and I found that I try to make my tasks as useful for the viewer to figure out the information I need so for example I've started my task might be describe the location where this object was found at the moment in time where it was found and then I'll typically wait to actually write that task up until the moment that I found it so that I can take as many pictures as possible and basically give them a panoramic view of feedback to try and make sure that that becomes useful to me retroactively. I don't know if anyone's tried anything similar, but being as specific while not scattershotting it is probably the best way to go in my humble opinion.
10: Yeah, it's a balance. Totally. Is that an F, Matt? Does that answer
1: you an F? <coughs> you're, you're muted.
10: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I said yes, I think so. Um, I, th- I suppose I'd have, probably have to ask to well, ask someone who set up a longer kind of task like that about why they did it and how they, they went about it, maybe. Um, Cause there was there were some of his sessions before I knew about you know the the fact that maybe people can perceive things based on what the the tasker is is perceiving in their head rather than the actual um target before I knew that <laughs> recently I assumed that like having a lot more detail um or the feedback that was coming through in those sessions that I've seen online um was kind of amazing i I was surprised that there were more like that um but okay
1: yeah just bear in mind as well matt that it is, there are other issues that may be in play as well. It might not just be what the tasker's intent might be mm-hmm. um it could possibly be anyone that's involved in the experiment, but also uh, and we've uh, a number of us have seen this on larger projects where we've like tried to remote view things like uh, well, like the yeah, u s elections i've done tried to get i haven't removed viewed it myself but I've done projects for the last three elections, and for the last three elections, the remote viewing data has been absolutely solid but it's been absolutely solid for the wrong person that actually got elected. Um, so in those targets, and and in two of the cases, it was definitely not for people that I liked. So it was not my target, Tasker's intent that was pushing it in that direction. So I think that it was the larger social kind of consciousness that might have affected that in some way. Uh, but we, you, know, you have to bear in mind that that might be in play with some targets as well.
10: Okay. Can I ask one more quick question? Um, has anyone found that like things like diet affect um, or uh, like your performance? Let's say or your accuracy or things like the location on the location on the Earth. Like I don't know if someone was to, you know, uh, to try you know, um, do, doing a target. Let's say uh, ley lines or I don't know, England. Um, that like the Avery Stone Circle, not too far from from Bath, for example. That have you ever tried doing it there? did it have um, an impact?
1: I haven't, but I have seen I have seen substantial research. Uh, and I was just reading somewhat today in in Ingo Swan's files, where he was detailing in nineteen eighty three uh, that they had they, they 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 were doing some experiments, and everyone failed in the experiment. And the any conclusions that they could come up with that because you know everyone failed and they were all in different locations, that it was something to do with something exterior to what was going on in, in the project. So he started then looking at the all the tables for uh, geomagnetic activity around the Earth and stuff. And I think he had some very good research to show that effects like sunspots and geomagnetic storms, all kinds of stuff like that, maybe having an influence on our data as, as remote viewers. And of course, there's also the... Uh, Uh, I don't know if you know about it, but the theory of uh, local side real time as well, the 13... Spot as Yeah. Some people believe in that. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I've never seen it in effect, but yeah, I I wouldn't like to say for definite on that one. But if you haven't read about that, that's definitely worth reading up as well. Because allegedly the local side real time of 1330, I think there's something, they they thought they saw something like a four to 600% increase in the accuracy of remote viewers which is, if, if true, it would be amazing, but I don't know if it's ever been replicated.
6: It, it has, actually, Des. There's new research on that. I don't think it's published yet, where Spottiswood looked at 2 million trials. James Spottiswood is the uh, mathematician. I think he's a mathematician. I'd have to double-check on that. I think he is. But <clears throat> he got new data from a source for... it was, I don't know if it was exactly remote viewing and the type of remote viewing that we're doing, but it's uh, it was online... Psychical trials for describing non local uh, locations, you know, just so very simple version. Think of like the Russell, a Russell Targ version of remote viewing. Uh, and they had 2 million data points on that for where on the globe they're running it, as well as uh, the level of efficacy and the accuracy, how <laughs> good they could describe it. And um, I haven't seen the exact data set, but I have, I'm familiar with. What James has said and he said that they found it in that large super large data set but I'm more of the mind where I've seen it where it's like where what Paul Smith has said about this is like it seems to matter for the people that matters with and the people it doesn't it seems to be irrelevant it's like oh so it's like almost like
1: it,
6: some people it doesn't seem to matter and but on some larger studies it does seem to be a phenomenon but even spotters was like he's not even sure if it has to say anything to the time maybe that's just like a way we're perceiving some other phenomenon that is kind of masquerading as local side real time as being the cause, but it's actually something else. That's his thoughts about it.
1: Wow, so. yeah. Is it is interesting. Again, it's one of those things like, like we've been discussing. It needs a, We need to shed load more research and money.
10: Yep. Yeah.
4: Okay, thanks. Thank
1: you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Pablo, you've had your hand up
4: for a while? Thank you, Das. So wanted to, to ask on a different topic. So, you know, I started RV with TRV. So, uh, you know, when I was not doing uh, targets and I was a tasker for a project, for example, I would use the same structure way to create uh, the queues. And that's how I, I, I learned to do it, right? I even used it in some experiments, trying to apply that same structure for ching and a few other things but also seeing that, uh, for example, uh, Paul Smith was gathering some cues that were used in other projects, seeing other examples of cues that are more open-ended, for example. So with this this background, I was wondering, back in TRB, we did some uh, targets like, for example, who with a question mark or uh, optimum trajectory or stuff like that, that was, you know, not necessarily with available feedback. And in theory, those cues were worked through a lot of experimenting and, and, and fixing. However, I never saw any material on that. And would like to know if anyone has had any experience with a specific cue or things that have gotten any results or our best practices, right? I'm trying to break out of, of that mold and, and move into a, a, a more broader part of the CRB and not just in one standard, right?
6: I could talk a little bit about that type of queuing structure. Obviously, not everyone's a fan of it. Um, even I have some, like when you use something like a question an optimum trajectory, who are you asking what's optimum is a little bit of <laughs> like, what does that really mean? And so I, like, I don't know, but I have run a lot of those historically auto and trajectory optimum career trajectories just to see what would happen. I've had a lot of clients in the past specifically ask me to run those for them. And so I'm like, well, okay, I, if you, if that's what, you know, that's what the client is interested in paying for, that's you know, there's nothing unethical about that. If that's, they want that data, I'll provide that data. And I've had really, really interesting data come out of those sessions that was really specific and useful to that client. And uh, I mean, I, I don't want to belabor all these specific examples, but there are specific things about, you know, obviously I knew nothing about them as an individual that showed up in the session that showed us usually, which is actually kind of funny, is that popped up in that session Is it was things that they were thinking about doing but hadn't pulled the trigger on doing, or had said no. That's that's not that's impossible. I would never do that because that's just a silly thing to go do or to focus on. And so usually they were already aware and they were kind of shocked from that session day. It's like oh, well I already thought about that and dismissed it as implausible. But I'd like to do it, but I don't know how I'd ever make money with it. You know they had a lot of maybe self defeating uh, thoughts about it. So. I have seen them work several, many, many times. Uh, I still have some potential questions about what does optimum even mean? Because who are you asking that question to? Um, And I've got a lot of feedback from clients saying, you described exactly what my situation was and you gave me the missing piece of data, which is what the question was. Well, what what would be the actual thing for them to do? I don't do a lot of that work anymore, but I have done a lot of that in the past. And it has provided some some pretty useful information to some of my past clients that can they I acted upon.
7: Interject, um, can I just interject about this question about what is optimum just quickly? It occurs to me um, there's a type of computing called optimization and it runs on programs that are called annealing, annealing um, algorithms. And they're doing these types of, algorithms on the new quantum computers, because, um, because the computers solve these problems really well. And they're very difficult problems, these optimization problems, like find the face in the crowd, find the best place to park traffic problems, things like that, where there's large amounts of data that need to be crunched quickly. So what these programs do is they optimize, they find an optimal scenario. And I think that's what the question is when you're tasking someone is you're thinking of it as if the universe is a great big quantum computer and it will respond when you ask it to optimize because that's a sort of a, a mathematical principle that it seems the universe uses. So why not ask it to do that? So that would just be my interjection about why we're asking for an optimal uh, solution. You definitely could be right.
6: You definitely could be right. I would just propose a a slightly different uh, question to this, though, is that what if what's optimum for the individual is to lose all of their money and lose their house and their home so that they can learn a really good lesson about humility in this life so that they grow as a spiritual person. What if that's, what's optimum for them? And so then you run a session for an individual here, make, take this action. And then it leads to that because that's, what's actually optimum for them. I'm not saying I've never seen that happen, but I've always thought about the idea. It's like, Oh, well, like, who am I really asking? And is this actually what they want? Maybe highest well, good for them it is it to go through that, to that, to that pain
7: particular bias about what somebody might or might not want or how greedy they are or whatever. It just has to do with the principle that the way the universe works is by optimizing. And so that would be a very astute and logical way to approach a tasking. So whoever thought of it probably knows this already, I'm thinking. But anyway, thanks.
6: The word seems to work in a tasking. I mean, but ultimately, it's not feedbackable I'll, in the direct sense. It's only feedbackable in when a client reaches out to me a year later and said, "Hey, I acted upon that data you gave me, and here's where I'm at." And uh, of the ones that have gotten back to me, I've, there's been some pretty cool stories behind that. But it's, uh, you know, it's still, it, it's a different kind of tar- target. So it's nuanced. It's interesting. I have seen good results with it Pablo but I else
2: I I question that thing about optimal I I don't you know what is optimal for me may not be optimal for you or the the client Well it's always in
6: a queue you're always specifically setting up the task for that individual so it's like uh, this person you usually use a photograph of the person what is their optimum career trajectory trajectory is like moving forward in time. So that's traditionally how you'd set something up like that. That does like Pablo said, that does come out of the TRV camp of tasking methods. Um, And like I said, I only can, you know, describe my experience of running those and what the outcomes are. And a lot of them are very, very positive. There are ones where I got data and there never was really any intention on the client to really act upon it. And it makes me wonder whether or not that had an effect on the actual viewing. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, I don't know. But uh, it does seem to render act- data that is specific to the individual's life. Uh, Anything okay, more Okay, so that, let
2: is, me just feedback on that for a second. I was tasked with, in a group project on um, the Eben's, they were the ones that uh, in theory crash landed in Roswell. Um And then one survived and set up a meeting. And then they had this extraterrestrial um, cultural exchange program in 1965, which was partially covered in um, close encounters of the third kind at the end, where the giant spaceship came and picked up 12 military people and took them off planet. And the, the tasking was written to describe them at their home world from the optimal position or and then within the years such and such and my session went straight to roswell so what's optimal you know optimal for me might be close to me you know this planet you know nearby i don't know i i at the end of the project i really had to look hard at that word optimal Just saying.
4: Sure. First of all, thank you, Brett, for sharing and and Siri. I also agree. Just as a side note, I was reading also on some optimization algorithms and how quantum computers can change everything because they can do them even faster. And in the end, the the human brain kind of works like a quantum computer, right? But but going back first, uh, Brett, I have another question if you don't mind there was the, this target that sometimes popped up and it, it was the, you know, name uh, slash who fashion mark. Mm-hmm. I really never got to, to make sense of it. Were you able to get something, you know, interesting out of it or not?
6: No, every time I ran that in a blind pool, it just returned nonsensical information to me. Maybe I'm an my who is nonsense. I don't know, maybe that's what I was trying to say. Do. I don't know. I it never it never gave me any information that made sense. It was just a bunch of spaghetti whenever I ran that personally. So I just that my own experience. That's all.
4: Thank you very much.
2: I'm just curious, Pablo. I don't understand what that tasking means. Is that sort of like a big question mark? <laughs> No, it,
4: it, you you started with your, your name, for example, if it was your, your own session or someone else's name, then uh, because you, you were, you know, making sure you were targeting the correct uh, human being or being, let's say that. And uh, then you added slash and then the word who and added a question mark at the end. So in theory, it was to get a, a more insight into the, the person, but I, I read a lot of comments when I, as Brett said, when I ran through it in a blind pool, I also got nonsense, couldn't make anything out of it. So so really what was, you know, I was wondering. Um,
6: ties back to really, Matt, I think. This is yeah. a thing where it's like, maybe that is a task that is so ambiguous that it's like, well, <laughs> there's no, the intent of that task is just. Nonsensical because it's too ambiguous I don't know yeah. maybe I'm that, sorry that's just...
2: so so the idea here is you write somebody's name. you don't write the word the, letter, the word name you write somebody's name and then put slash who is that the idea
4: that, that's if you were you know queuing with with text uh, that's correct Don for example, okay. you could do a different one let's let's say for example uh don slash uh, now. So I would be remote with you right now.
2: Okay. Got
4: it. That's That That was it for me. Thank you very much.
9: Uh,
1: okay. I did see that Sasha had her on it for a while, but I think she put it down again. If she's still there, do you, did you want to ask a question, Sasha? Maybe she's away for a second. So anyone else want to verbally ask a question? If not, it looks like we've got tons in the chat window. Okay, so I'll go to the chat window stuff then. Someone asked, really early on, can we discuss Project Flyerify? And uh, that was from Rich. And probably it's not best if I do, to be honest, because it's not my project. Um, but if you're interested in it, Rich, we can possibly get Deborah Linkatz uh, and Michelle... Uh, on to discuss it it was an ARV project uh, where they where the ARV p- people put loads of money into the project but it completely failed and they all lost their money and they detailed in a report why they think that happened but I can get her to come on and yeah. talk about that.
0: no I think that'd be great I'd, I'd appreciate that uh, I just saw the link that you posted on reddit uh, yesterday I think uh, okay. so I thought it was your project so uh, so I had a misunderstanding on that but uh, but yeah, I was curious to, and maybe they will release it soon, and I just need to be more patient. <laughs> but I was curious.
1: Uh, well, the project's a few years old, so yeah, oh
0: yeah, okay,
1: yeah. But I can, I can certainly see if she wants to come on and talk about it because it's, you know, it's one of those projects where people don't like to talk about the projects where there's, you know, where it's a failure. But as I, I've always said to people, you can learn so much from failures that, right? Yes, you need to talk about them, uh, and yes, hundred percent. Yeah, so it'd be a great, it'd be a great, uh, great topic for an evening. So I'll, I'll see if I can catch her up on that and see if we can get her in.
0: Awesome, thanks, Jess.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, what else we got here in the window? Um, there was one from Yale, wasn't there? Uh, we're t- lots of talking about Judy's conversation here.
3: Sasha's come back in.
1: Uh, Sasha, would you like to answer your question?
3: Uh, yeah, can
12: you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, good. Sorry about that. My audio settings were all wrong. Um, I just wanted to, to say something about the quantum annealing um, because that was brought up, and I thought that was interesting in relation to remote viewing. Because with quantum annealing, for quantum computers, what they're actually doing is they're giving the quantum computer problems that are too hard, too complex for us to solve um, in another way. And so the idea is that the computer is finding the lowest energy solution. And th- going through thousands of iterations every moment, um, it spits out what we believe to be the lowest energy solution. But there's no way of verifying that because the problems that we're running through or that are being run through, like I said, are too complex to verify. So we can't, we can't check the answer provided against an answer that we've come up with through another means. And, and so we just have to trust that this is what's happening. Um, the problem with the quantum computers are that they are influencible by focused human intent or attention, right? And that's what the Paralab showed is that we can affect random number generators. And it's the same principle that you, you could be able to affect a quantum computer that's running through this iteration process. And because it's iterating so many times per minute, let's say, um, your influence would be enormous and so you and undetectable and so you wouldn't actually be able to know if the system is putting out the lowest energy solution which would be the right answer or if it's putting out a random answer because it's being influenced by the intent or attention of the people that are effectively tasking the computer And I think that the parallels with remote viewing are really striking because it's in the same way we don't actually understand how remote viewing works. We don't understand the mechanism of action. Right. And and there does seem to be similar problems in that the the intent uh, or the focused attention of a tasker or the viewer themselves, depending on their biases, can influence the, the answer that's provided. And so I think that the, yeah, I, I think that there is a, there's space here to involve um, researchers who are working on quantum computing, because I think that this might be a better way to bring interested parties in and I think that we would find better answers to what's happening with remote viewing that makes it somewhat maybe less rebu- reliable or less robust because it's influenceable um, by our biases. Um, the difference would be that computers don't actually have an awareness of meaning, right? They can only process information. So, so I think that's where remote viewing might be better able to solve those kinds of complex problems than a quantum computer, because we do have a sense of meaning. So a quantum computer can, you can say this is the goal, but it might come up with a nonsense way of reaching that goal that doesn't actually give us um, something useful. Right? So like computer games that are are set to learn, right? When computers are, uh, when they're trying to program computers to learn artificial intelligence. So if you you give it the goal to score as many points possible thinking that that will make the game find a better way of playing the game to win. Sometimes the computers go off on tangents and they end up doing nonsense uh, gameplay to accrue more points in a way that, yeah, okay, you win because you have the most points, but the, the the actions that you're doing in the game are nonsensi- nonsensical. So I'm just wondering if anyone else has kind of thought about this or if there's anyone who is doing research in computing, because I think that there, there should be a way of bringing these two fields together and getting some really interesting insights.
4: I guess you sure something there. Some years
7: what ago- about the quantum computer, there's an open source um, uh, access to one of the quantum computers, the D-Wave, and you can buy time to test out um, algorithms that you write on it. And there are, um, um, some of these guys are coming up with error correction protocols, and so they can actually check for errors as the, programs are computing, and there's a lot of advances being made on the D-Wave open source. Um, I don't know what you call it. Um, They have a website where you can go and register and and buy time on the quantum computer, and you can write programs for it. It's It's not from IBM. It's it's called the D-Wave. And uh, I think it's actually the D Wave company, which is based in Burnaby, British Columbia. Yes. And they have, uh, well, they've sold a couple of models. They sold one to Lockheed um, Martin and they sold one to uh, California University, I think Stanford. And I think Google has one as well. well
12: but, but I actually, uh, I actually approached D Wave because um, I was living in Burnaby. Um, about this project, and they basically said, look, we're so busy looking for money just to keep our own operation running that we don't have money to spend on these kinds of experiments. And then I approached the University of Edinburgh because they have a, a PhD in parapsychology, and they have a unit there, the Kessler unit that does experiments and things like telepathy and, uh, and psi abilities. And they respond. I don't know when you approach
7: the d wave people, but they do have this website and they're, you know, all the time people are working on it and they're interacting with it and with the d wave people, um, experimenting and writing programs. I think Volkswagen has written a traffic program on it. And advertising people, of course, have flocked into it like crazy, (laughs) which is interesting. So um, maybe you approached them at a stage where they weren't in this part of the development. But now I think things have changed and there's a lot of advances being made, especially with error correction. Because you're right, it wasn't possible to monitor as the uh, programs were computing. And that's been a real focus. And, you know, people can look into that for themselves, but I think there's been a lot of advances made. So, and in terms of interacting with the computer consciously, I don't really think that's a, a question at the moment. I mean, they're treating it very much like a normal research project and like a real computer. No one's talking, at least on, on the open source site, about any kind of interaction this way. That's just not something that's being talked about by the people.
12: But so I think happy. they have a yeah. vested interest in not acknowledging that their quantum computing system is influencible by random remote viewers, right? Or anyone well, well, I with they so I
7: think we think can even of entertain that at the moment as a possibility. Right. You know, the thing that, that Jordi uh, Rose, seems to be more concerned about is that this computer could become intelligent and start having its own. Intentions, And that's something I've been thinking about in my research is how this computer could actually become conscious and be able to understand things. And uh, that's, I think, what the main concern is. And Jordi Rose, the founder of the company, has a video out on YouTube where he talks about the dangers of this technology and I think that's why it's being kept really quiet because no one's talking about it. I, t- I talk to people in Canada, they've never heard of D-Wave and if they have, they're really quiet about it. So it's, I think it's worth looking into, I, was, I would look into it. And that's what I'm doing, and yeah, I'm following it,
4: <laughs> so. Sasha, what we did back in 2009, the, the School of Electronics Engineering and, and the School of Applied Mathematics we started a similar project just to check it out, right? Because there were some papers uh, and mathemati- mathematical papers stating that a powerful enough computer could, you know, break into the, the actual consciousness. And, you know, there were a lot of discussions regarding, you know, distributed uh, computing systems and so on, quantum computers, which were not as developed as now. However, the, 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 the research it was not funded, right? It was free time from, from the students ended up in a really interesting discussion that, in fact, ended up being the the dead zone for it. So at the same time, there were people, you know, working on using DNA to store data and also using actual living cells as circuits uh, to perform basic, uh, you know, digital operations. And that was successful. So the project moved into what if we created our own, you know, living cells, uh, Artificial brain, and uh, it, it has it had some capabilities, and the mathematicians ran their calculus and so on, and things started getting interesting. However, we hit a, a really hard brick wall. Few of the really good guys in the mathematical team, they had really strong uh, religious beliefs. And what happened is that they said, even if we find this is true, we will not believe it because it goes against our, our teachings and our beliefs and so on. So a big argument came and, you know, everything fell down. But what I can surmise for it is that, you know, as with the forming lab experiments with uh, retro psychokinesis, where you can influence machines, that one of the questions that came up is, if machines are good enough, can they influence actual human minds? And the other one is that we couldn't find any evidence pointing that computers couldn't actually, if some super hardware came in or biological hardware came in, uh, be prevented from getting consciousness. One, because calculations showed that it was possible. And second, because we don't know yet what's uh, consciousness. So I just wanted to share that if that helps somehow. I'm sure that because it's not something that can generate money out of of the stashes not being looked to into but could be promising in the future.
12: Cheers. Thanks for that.
4: Welcome. Thanks for
1: that, Sasha. Uh, if you're interested in that, though, you could maybe make a proposal to the uh, the Irva War Collier Prize Fund because I think they fund uh, experimental projects like that. And and you maybe to get some off the ground if you're interested.
12: Yeah, that's something I... Yeah, that's interesting actually. I'm going to look into that because I did see it on the ERVA website. Yeah,
1: Thanks. It's worth a try, I think. Uh, you've had your hand up for a while. Would you like to ask your question or say your comment? Sure,
6: sure. And hopefully it'll be a quick, easy one for the rest of the crew here. Um, okay, I've got it written down. Let me see it. Okay, uh, so I'll give an example to try and make the question clear. I noticed in sessions that it is normal to be on the target and then off the target in the same session and then looking at say 20 or 30 sessions that if they were for example an average of 25 minutes per session at minute 15 I usually am on the target and drawing it well and then off again so I've noticed that there are a variety of breaks that are used in CRV however does anybody have any suggestions on how to get on target and then just stay
7: on it all the way through
1: Anyone want to answer that one?
13: The, the answer, I mean, effectively is practice. It's generally in retrospect that you begin to identify that sense of the signal line. So if I do a proper session review after receiving feedback... And let's just say I got blue, but it was kind of loud and solid. And it turns out there was no blue, but I said red, and that kind of had a fleeting quiet something or other. And I look back and I remember that feeling associated with that perception at the time that it came in, that might be a clue. So without doing a lot of sessions, a lot of practice and a lot of res- retrospective analysis on your viewing process. How, how else would you identify that? There's times, and viewers say this all the time, and I found it true, and, and I've seen other people experience it. When you start to feel like, I am definitely on the signal, you know, this is a great session, da 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 da, and you get to the feedback, and you're like, ow. But somehow, if you have a session where you're like, ugh, I'm not sure, I really think I'm probably off, and then you get to the feedback, and you're like, wow. So what, what is that phenomena? It, it, it's hard to say exactly what that phenomena is, but it seems to have some consistency. Daz, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, definitely seems- practice.
13: Yeah, there's, but, but I mean, do you agree with the idea that, that when viewers are really certain they're spot on versus when they're in a sustained state of not knowing, yeah. it really seems like when, you've, when you're certain, it tends to not pan yes. out.
1: Yeah. And the, ones, and, and the ones where you felt you've been really off are the ones when
13: you see the feedback and you're like, damn, I was really on. Correct. And and so to 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 stay in and see this was the thing that, that was interesting and I just read this where Ingo and Hal took a different track than other people. Other people in the psychic explorations wanted to amplify or increase the signal line they took the track of how do we reduce the noise? So you could say to yourself um, like right now, let's say I'm sitting here and there's a radio on and this, that, the other, if I just go around and turn off all the noise, now I'll be more aware of my environment without noise. So when they looked at this, development that emerged as CRV their concept was let's reduce the noise and then you'll you'll have nothing but signal so that takes a a trust or a belief or a certainty that when we take the coordinate and connect with the site that there's actually something happening that something is there so if it's the past Is that a cosmic memory? I don't know. But somehow, or like Brad said, is it a library? I don't know. But somehow, that information seems to be stored somewhere and accessible. When you view the present, you know that something that real people in real buildings on real land are making real decisions that will have real consequences. So that's three-dimensional if you're viewing in the present. My belief in terms of viewing in the future is that yes, there's some information there that given every condition existing right this minute will turn out to be something, but maybe the next day or a week or month, those conditions can change. And so therefore the, the future isn't as um, solid as say the past. So when we're looking at signal, and remember, signal line was it? It even says in the mail was a theoretical, it was a proposed notion. It's not like there's a little cable or a beam of data flowing from somewhere. How our attention splits, and part of it touches this information, and part of it stays here to do the session. There are theories. Ingo had theories. I mean. A lot of times we say, well, we don't know. Ingo and Hal and the the core creators, plus the, you know, four or 500 people that were always credited around them, they knew something or they wouldn't have been able to make it work. And in that, I think we run into this this thing where we're saying, well, we don't know, or we need more research. and, And that's all true, absolutely. And to say, we don't know Anytime you say, I don't know, that is literally the beginning of coming to know. So that's a good position to take. But that kind of doubt and hesitancy and not certainty and all this kind of thing shouldn't take away from the fact that we do have an operational philosophy. We know that we can operate it. Daz knows he can issue a target. He knows a viewer. Can do this and produce at least associated or reasonable data or even an incredible, complete, accurate picture. So we know that we should stick to that aspect of the certainty. When I go to start my car, I don't know how the onboard computer works. But when I turn the key, the car starts. So it's an operational philosophy. I can operate the car, I can get to the store and back safely. I don't know how power steering works. I don't know how brake cylinders work, okay? But I can do it. I can operate it. I can do certain things at certain times that bring a desirable outcome in the end. So within the certainty that we have, and interestingly enough, when Tom McNear ended his working notes, he talked uh, about this, this certainty, this trust, this belief and gave an example of a viewer who didn't believe that you could quote unquote time travel, therefore their viewing wasn't very effective in that regard. So there's something about certainty and and owning what we do know. We do know that this does work. What we don't know is how the onboard computer works or, how, you know, we don't know how the whole system of roads was developed and every detail that went into paving and all this other stuff, but we can get in the car, we can start it, we can get on that road, we can get to our destination, we can get back and we can shut the car off. So the the trick to me, if I'm reading the research correctly, is to follow the protocols to reduce the noise. Because when the noise is gone, what's left? The signal line. If we try to amplify, if you could, and I can't imagine how, if we try to amplify the signal line, um, why would we do that and then leave the noise and the racket going on? And so at least in the, the out of the box CRV, and even, you know, certain of the the derivatives, the beauty of that structure is there's a place for everything. There's a place for memory. There's a place for imagination. There's a place, like you said, to take the breaks. There's a place for everything. And if you look at that whole thing comprehensively um, and use that to place the noise, to um, clear yourself of, a, of a, a reaction, maybe an aesthetic reaction or uh, too much stuff on your mind, personal inclemency. You know, and, and th- there's just a genius and a simplicity and a clarity to it. And, and I think we ought to, as much as admit we don't know, also hang on to that. By, because sometimes throwing everything into doubt, that just creates a confusion. And when someone's confused, that means confused. That means a whole bunch of ideas are fused together. And when you get in that state of confusion, okay, there's a confusion break or too much stuff is coming in. There's a too much break. So when you look at at that, whatever, Hal and Ingo and, and Pat and the other developers now, on the other side of that, you have Pat Price, who never, you know, uh, 12 years, I believe, before CRV was, was defined as a, a, a structure, he, he was deceased. Ingo, in the penetration uh, scenario, was not using CRV. Uh, Joe McMonagle never needed CRV. So, so can it be done without? Yes, absolutely. And that's proven time and time and time again. But now what we're talking about, and I'll speak of myself in this case, is the average person. How do you take a soldier just out of some other uh, assignment or project, like Tom McNear and Rob Coward at first and get them to do this? They, w- they may not have even been seeking out PSI or consciousness related matters. So when you're looking at the structure, yes, it applies to a certain crowd and, and so for myself, yeah, I'd had some psychic things and some interesting perceptions, this, that, the other. But until I found this trainable, repeatable, and verifiable process, my personal psychic development didn't emerge. So, yeah, there's people that don't need CRV. Crystal clear, I get it. But for most of us, and I'm not saying... Uh, out there, you guys aren't psychic or or can't do it. I'm just saying for most of us, generically speaking, this gets the ball rolling for us. With um, even people, including people just like, it's amazing, it's like people don't realize, Ingo was having psychic experiences at like four and five years old. Many, many things that he did were completely based on natural psychic ability. So so why did he participate in this? If he said, well, natural psychability, is just you know, everybody do it, just go ahead. Even Daz, who also had a history and a family and personal instruction and a 25-year group of people to to work with to do um exploration, okay, he has said that that finding a structure um has added now. He's also said he hit targets, nailed targets accurately before the structure. So maybe consistency is what the structure offered DAZ. Um, We've just got to, to, to come to grips with certain things that we can't know, but we should always reiterate what we do know. I do know right now with absolute certainty someone can give me a number And I can write that number down, follow a a, a process and end up understanding something that I have no tangible, visible or direct connection to in any way that I'm used to sensing things. I know that. I know that there'll be misses. I know there'll be sessions that are partly good, partly bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, So stick with our knowing, keep that certainty going in addition to the very fair and honest admission, I don't know. You can know and not know at the same time. One of the things that I I put there in the chat, I didn't wanna jump in on the whole uh, tasking issue, very interesting conversation, lots of interesting viewpoints, but there was a significant research project done at SRI with Ingo and Hal at the helm to try to differentiate remote viewing from telepathy. The clients were very concerned that, um, well, if this is just a matter of reading somebody's mind and Ingo even ends the, the essay that he did on it with, if it was telepathic overlay, we would not have anything like remote viewing going on. So he saw the two as separate functions. In the case of this essay, for their needs at the time under those conditions, they brought in hypnotists, psychologists, every kind of person and one element. I'm not saying it's the only element and and Ingo didn't say it was the only element, but he said they cured kind of a a major bulk of, of the issue. And what the issue was, especially, let's say in a military structure, you have a major and you're just a little old sergeant So your career, your life, your income, your family, all this stuff depends on being in line with this authority structure. So if you're sitting down and a major is tasking you, then by all means, you're used to, it's just built into your subconscious. You see a major, you salute. You don't go to the officer's club. There's this distinction that's So ingrained, especially after basic training and a few years of of military, that you want to, in fact, in a certain way, you feel like you need to please this person. So what they found, the slice of what they found, uh, was that telepathy tended to flow downhill from the person perceived as authority, uh, knowingness, all this other kind of stuff, to little old me how dare you go off and perceive the target accurately, independent of what the uh, tasker is expecting you to find. So what they did ultimately was to bring the viewer up to the elevated status of, I'm the viewer, I'm the one actually providing the product here, or the end product, let's say, and I need to break away from this. And I've seen this uh, in people that I've worked with, I've seen this in other cases. I really wanted to make you happy. I really wanted to get this target. I really wanted to show, you know, that I'm listening. I, when I was getting uh, monitored by Bill and uh, Paul, you know, initially the only way to describe it, you're starstruck. Okay, here's these two people that are elevated in history that you have respect for. And I remember doing sessions with the intent to please them. So it happens to all of us. So if somehow we can find that relationship to ourselves that isn't trying to please the the tasker, project monitor, client protocol or chain command, and just do your thing with the deep, deep desire to answer the question that needs to be answered specifically On the other hand, if you want to, for your own reasons, or if a client wants to, give you more of an open-ended idea. Okay, there's this general thing. What's going on there? And then you find two or three things, and then you get retasked on a specific one. Um, Then you've got your other teammates. Let's say there are six viewers working on it. Like that story I love, The Blind Man in the Elephant. One viewer might inspect the tail. One viewer might inspect the trunk. One viewer might inspect the ears. Well, you know, And when that's put together as a team with synergy, a group of people uh, working together with the same goal in mind, then an analyst can step back and put the elephant together. So in line with, with the conversation today, I believe there is a way to, to at least step aside from certain aspects of, of what we call telepathic overlay. I'm not saying I understand all of it. The essay that Ingo wrote that I put a link to is, is, is very good and very thorough and explains a lot of it. Sometimes I get frustrated because there's on that BioMind website that his estate has archived for us on his new website, it has 1,372 pages of... Ingo's speculations, thoughts, feelings, remote viewing history, things that we don't know about that need to be researched, things that we have researched, and, you know, at least certain partial or possible answers. So this, this resource is out there, and there's a lot of really fascinating and interesting stuff, and I wish people would access it more but more and more and more as we go, it's like, well, that's just old stuff. Well, wow, that was 40 years ago. Well, no, the brain hasn't changed in 40 years. Consciousness hasn't changed in 40 years. And there's just certain functions, you know, even the human body. Okay, we're still humans. We, you know, I haven't, I'm not evolved differently than somebody 40 years ago. So there's some value there. Now, how, how other people evolve it? Will there be some major scientific discovery that controverts half of what I've said and believed? Possibly. So then I'll read it, I'll update it, I'll put it in a new context, and I'll move forward. So I did withhold myself to one tirade today, so I'll consider that a success. And hopefully that responded a little bit to your question as well, Kiao. Russell you had your hands up for a while as well did you
1: did you or want to say anything else other than answering the question and
13: stuff no it actually worked out perfectly integrated also I was really the reason I put my hand up was to let people know I put a link to uh, Ingo's archived years and years and years of work 1372 pages of data that's there for all of us Um, that was my intent and then Cal's question fed right into it. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely worth a good read. I've been reading for it again this week. Not only that, Russell, I got some new information I'll be sharing with you very soon where I found a document from 1983 where Ingo does state and describe nine stages of CRV.
13: Oh, sure. I'd love to see that naturally. Um So the, like, what, what are the conditions? I mean, is it something you're going to publish as an article or are you going to send me the I'm, document?
1: I'm still looking into it. I only just found it this week. Um, but it is, it's, a, it's a document written by Ingo. Uh, he just state uh, six stages confirmed of CRV, three stages of hypothetical. This was in ni- early in 1983. Um, mm-hmm.
13: And he goes on to list the uh, nine stages below as well. That'd be great. I, uh, you know, because a lot of people, when we talk about that, and if that's eighty-three, two years uh, before Tom's document, yeah, I mean Tom admitted right there. He said on stage seven, I Swan is working on this with some success, mm-hmm. and on stage eight, so I mean Tom was aware enough to identify those two stages at, with Ingo's name. Yeah, so I would love to see what uh, does does he. At that time, does he still have seven and eight inverted or are they different than uh I haven't got all the details on it. I've only
1: got a paragraph of text that talks about it. The page where he's got the, the uh the descriptions of them, actually in full detail, is actually missing from the document I've got. So I'm trying
13: to find another copy of it. No, that I when I read through those and I'm like, oh, and then the next page has got that blur when they scanned yeah. it and yeah. you just do everything you can you can't make out of work but yeah yeah,
1: it's 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 a really i mean it's a really amazing document in the in the history of crv as well that in detail that i've never seen before um but yeah i've just literally it was just two lines where he says below i'm going i'm going to outline the six stages of of crv and the free hypothetical And he says yeah he literally says stages seven eight and nine Mm -hmm. Uh, and he says i'll outline them below here and then i look for the outline below but uh page and it's and it's missing but but you know it was it was interesting because it's the first time i've heard him talk about that is as early as uh march of
13: 1983 yeah which is really early no and, and see I, I mean naturally like right now i'm just like oh i'm thirsting to get it and for people who know you know the position i've taken on that this document comes through and it says this i i will update modify embrace the new information If apologies are due, I'll apologize. If a public retraction is due, I'll retract. You know, I hit every idea with determination and strong uh, intention, and then when proper feedback causes you to correct, I correct. I'm only interested in the truth. I I don't, there's, there's no reason I have to push anything nothing to gain nothing to lose no money involved nothing
1: absolutely and,
13: and it just goes to
1: show really you know even now me and you uh, and others have gone through f- thousands and thousands of pages of these documents over and over for the last couple of years but even now we're still finding new stuff that we've never even e- seen before so everyone should try to look at all this historical data because there's some amazing nuggets of information out there
13: yeah i, I mean absolutely it it just it's in, in a lot of that information it it is timeless you know this is why uh, i mentioned to you yesterday i talked with uh, the estate and um, got permission and actually some encouragement to go ahead and work up a presentation on resurrecting the mysterious and bringing out some of those esoteric concepts i didn't realize by the end of that book Ingo is just using full-on sanskrit terms and Hindu words, and you know, I didn't realize the the depth to which uh, Eastern mysticism um, had been one of his studies. Mm. So there's always something new there. There's a lot of timeless stuff there. He 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 really did understand yogiism, the Yoga Sutras, and, and these broader concepts. Mm. So so hopefully that it's gonna take me probably two months and then maybe we could work out a schedule where where we could do it and then also uh invite Ellie to yeah. to throw in her um you know additions to it. So the data's there. Maybe you know, maybe they'll find a box that controverts everything we know. And at that point, then you know, we'll have to find a context for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Thanks, Russell. Rich, uh I see you've
1: got your hand up. Uh, Did you have a question you want to ask?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'll ask real quick. Um, Actually, I got that brought up another question for me, but um, this wasn't my question. But when you encourage people to go out and uh, read these documents and stuff, are you referencing uh, in part uh, the link Russell provided with the 1,300 pages? Or are you talking about another online database that we can uh, filter through? What are you talking about?
1: Um, well, there's so much, really. I mean, Ingo Swan's website is absolutely a first stop. You should go there and have a look at his stuff. There's also the Stargate CIA files. Um, they're available online from multiple places now, and that's that's roughly 110,000 pages of information. That's full of amazing archive stuff. Um, that's okay. Yeah, we're also talking about the Ingo Fonds, uh, Ingo Swan files that have been given to the University of West Georgia. Uh, And we're referencing, we've been going through those for the last couple of years as well, trying to piece together a bit more of the history and bits and pieces that we didn't know that went on and stuff.
0: Does the university, have they scanned those and made them available online or are you? Partly.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say probably about 25, 30% are available online, um, but they do take, uh, they do take and allow people to go there and search the archives. And there are several other (laughs) archives in the same building now which are worth having a look at um and i've I've been told literally this week that they're absolutely stacked with people going there so it is a really popular uh Mm. popular place for people to research at the moment that's very cool
0: um my actual question was um kind of referencing back uh to sasha she was talking about the quantum computing and how it finds the the lowest energy solution to a given problem and um so i was just trying to relate that as well as other people here uh, to remote viewing the future. So uh, one thought I had is, you know, if if baseline reality is quantum mechanics, uh, per our understanding, obviously the, the tunnel probably goes down a little deeper than that. But, um, and if the idea is that most quantum, sol- like particles are collapsing to maybe a, a path of least resistance, like lightning or water, things like that, it would, in my mind, stand a reason that natural things, nature, when looked at from the perspective of the future, for the most part, would have a good known. Uh, I'm talking about things like salmon swimming upstream each year, planetary uh, movements and where they're going to be relative to each other, things like that. So have we found that, you know, obviously people remote view things like the, the election. But people are complex. They don't follow the path of least resistance. Um, they're more random, it seems, than natural things. So, is it easier to view things in the future that pertain to nature or the natural world versus a human construct, like an election or what somebody's going to be doing?
1: I don't know if I can answer that one. Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, What type of targets I've done? Yeah, let
7: me. Yes, I was just thinking about this today. This is a synchronicity. So, um, just run that by me one more time. What exactly the question was? Because I know I was thinking about this.
0: Oh, my question was just uh, boiled down, really simply: is Is it easier to remote view something in the future that isn't really a known? Because it's still the future, but is pretty much a known. Like each year, uh, the salmon in Alaska will swim upstream.
12: Right, uh, you know, describe
0: this river at a certain date and yeah. time, and then people get fish and struggle and all this. Uh, versus well, like, people, let me just, where it's just maybe really... my
7: thought. Let me just give you my thought because I was thinking about statistics and how, like, you're asking, like, is it easier to tell if people are going to do something or if something you think is more random, like nature? And what I was getting today was that actually statistics on people are very reliable. And this is what advertisers use, you know, like their Bible is statistics on people. And they collect data on people to get these statistics because they are extremely accurate. So, so I think statistics across the board, and I don't think people, a lot of people realize, but all of science these days is now based solely on statistics. Probability theory is the state of the art. This is our science these days. It's all statistics. That's why we am talking medicine about risk and not cure anymore because it's all about probabilities and what might or might not happen according to statistics. So that's a really good question. And I don't know how Daz might answer it or anybody else, but what I'm thinking in my opinion is that Statistics are incredibly reliable, especially when it comes to people. And that's why it's important to guard your data, in my opinion, and, you know, and not just to give it away to all these companies because they will use it and they'll use it against you to control you. Not that I'm paranoid, but I mean, they want you to buy something. You're going to figure out how to make you do it. Yeah,
0: for sure. I think people as a group can be very easy to predict, even without remote viewing <laughs> or even certain people's behaviors. I guess the core of my question was, uh, is more like, is it is it remote viewing the future that's difficult just because it's in the future? Or is the difficulty in um, the, the probability of something happening? So the probability of fish swimming upstream, and I don't know when they do it, uh, March <laughs> each year in Alaska, is that easy to view? Because it's, I mean, God, unless there's some... Catastrophic thing happening. Uh, It's almost a given, but it's still in the future. So I was just curious. uh, Well, like that.
13: Rich, that's actually one of the best damn questions I've heard in a long time. Um, I can see Daz go off into pondering. (laughs) I I would have to say, theoretically, with absolutely no proof or direct knowledge of the matter, since our biosystem operates more on instinct than choice. So in that sense, you could say there's some automaticity um, mm-hmm. and that, it, it, I mean, it's not free of, of the effects of human free will, but that's not its primary drive. I would have to wonder and say if natural events would be more predictable because let's say there's a volcano that's going to blow up, uh, you know, 500 years or or let's say 10 years from now, the processes that are leading to that final eruption are are ongoing. So Mm -hmm. there's a connection to that, 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 you know, is mechanical, biomechanical, that might lead you to, to that event. And it makes me wonder if why maybe certain natural disasters, or at least larger scale ones, um, have had some uh, predictability versus who's gonna be president and um, 200 million people haven't decided. Right. So that that's an excellent question. I would be inclined to say that biosphere um, biomechanical automaticities built into in, into the to the organic world without so much free choice, I, I would be inclined to say that they were they would be more perceivable future wise.
0: I would, from a theoretical Rich. perspective, I I would agree to,
10: Rich,
0: um, Rich, but kid. I think.
10: Oh, I'm sorry, how would you even set that up? Like, would you say the viewer would want to, well, view the events going on in a stream in 50 years from now or something like this? Yeah. And then how, how would, I... oh, for example, let's say there's, there's other, a lot of other like aspects. What happens if, for example, in 30 years from now, human beings have developed a technology that would stop volcanoes from erupting? That we could somehow do right. that, or that, for example, but then there's
0: that human connection of the randomness. But, but I would you- say I would word it like a stream. You know, for like the stream example, um, maybe 50 years in the future might be too far. Who knows? You know, with climate change, whatever, blah 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 blah. It's the river will even be there, but uh, and and I'm I'm pulling this kind of out of thin air here. I'm not quite sure what I'm talking about when I'm talking about fish in Alaska, but I I, I believe there is a day each year where they all or like, you know, sea turtles, things like that, where it's, it's like clockwork because it's biological, but it's driven by instinct and natural, natural things versus the complexity of man's mind. Uh, So I, I, yeah. So I, I just feel like, like Russell, it instinctually feels like it would be easier to view these events that versus something that involves a human. Um, so, so then for me, it means it's not really, the future isn't difficult to view, but, but what, it's
10: certain aspects. But what aspects of, for example, hu- human beings, cause for example, like fish, okay, fish mm-hmm. swim and they have like, um, you know, breeding grounds and things like this or with the, the mm-hmm. case of the turtles. Right. But for example, sure. if you were to remote view a human being, is a human being going to be breathing? In 50 years time in the future for example because that is a natural process that there is related to them are you specifically right, yeah thinking, well i think mean, i think, when I think of the base case like yeah if if everything is though,
13: about matt even though this idea is brand new to me and, and i'm just going on a hunch when you ask a tasking question if i were just to spontaneously say so let's say rich is interested in such and such a river." okay i would i would actually task it as a geographical coordinate with no river name no uh, other specificity except for the date and say describe the conditions at this location on you know march 12th 2037 so just just the just the geographical coordinate cuz what if the name of the river changed what if the river dried up what if somebody dammed it so if you say review the river at this location, no. So just give a specific geographical coordinate and say, describe the conditions at this location at a specific date. To me, that would be a, 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 a direct path. And I think to your
0: point too, Matt, and I'm sorry if I cut you off. I think maybe our um, uh, audio is a little off or maybe I was just being rude. Um, but um uh, you know, like somebody breathing, I think, uh, it, I don't even know if it's my theory or, but just the idea, like I would think that would fall in line with the same aspect of, um, you know, if fish are going to return, um, uh, to a certain spot each year. Now, maybe 50 years is too far in the future. Cause again, that brings into a bunch of complexity from other people. Is somebody going to make the wrong left turn and run into the, the guy and he's not breathing in 50 years? Cause he's dead. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. I just feel like it's more probability than it is future,
10: but maybe it's all intertwined and not... <laughs> I'm trying to separate it, but it's not. I think um, Joe McGonagall, firstly, you didn't interrupt me. So <laughs> I think I did uh, it to you actually, um, <laughs> uh, but Joe McGonagall did a, a talk where he was talking about time and his leaf on it about specifically about the ideas of quantum mechanics and probability. And he sort of said that rather than the idea that there's, you know, infinite timelines happening it. um, and well infinite timelines happening all simultaneously that no it yeah it works in the way that time collapses into one based on probability and that's his kind of belief and then of course he's you know there's he's written books on future predictions and things like this which necessarily haven't all necessarily come true but yeah i think it would all be based on probability but yeah. i'm i'm still totally new so i'm i'm probably speaking way out of line
13: <laughs> well matt no first of all we're all new real really in in terms of the full spectrum of awareness, consciousness, and all that. So 24 years or 24 minutes, there might not be that much difference. Um, And I don't think you're way off. I I don't, and I don't know where your underlying belief is on um, materialism versus spiritualism with some sort of free will. So right now, you know, if I decide to knock all the papers off my desk. Did I decide to do that? Or did some process in the universe bring me to do it? And then in retrospect, I decided to, you know, to say, oh, I decided to do it. In hypnotism, interestingly enough, you could hypnotize a person and tell them, uh, you know, when I snap my fingers, take your coat off. Uh, like, you know, they do those little hypnotist shows on uh, the stages at fairs or that kind of thing. And so you snap your fingers, the person takes the coat off. If you ask them, why did you take your coat off? They'll come up with a very elaborate explanation. Well, you know, when I was a kid, um, my mom didn't want me to wear the coat in the house and this and that, whatever. They'll actually try to explain why they took their coat off even though it was that they were them a suggestion and a, a trigger to do it. I personally am very deeply with no reserve believe in free will. So if right now, let's say, let's, say, let's use an election as an example. So um, uh, candidate A is just well-liked and everybody feels good about them. And you remove view, at this time, it looks like candidate A is gonna be elected. Scenario B all of a sudden something horrible comes out about candidate A 10 days before the election and everybody is like, oh my God, that's so horrible. There's no way I could vote for them. And they all change their mind and vote for candidate B. So if you view the future now and follow that, that track, you might select candidate A But then free will so so when i'm talking about the difference between the biosystem which is operating mostly on instinct and cause and effect that's predictable to to some degree to a large degree obviously or we couldn't drive or fly and that kind of thing um versus it's not probability so much it's choice it's the the human world deciding And I do agree with the concept of collective um, decision-making. And then the more beings that are involved in putting their energy into that future um, synergy or or synchronized energy would indicate that, that that future might come to pass. So I'm, I'm only talking about free will as a matter of conscious choice versus mechanical instinct driven automaticity. So as an example, and I said this before, I can take a ball right now, stand on a little hill or even you know a little slope of a table or something. And I can set that down and I can let it go. And one second from now, I can tell you where the ball is gonna be. Two seconds from now, probably pretty good. Three seconds from now, maybe it'll hit a little bump or maybe a little breeze will come. And the further the ball goes down the hill, the less I'm going to be able to to say, is it going to like Pachinko? Is it going to land in the right ditch? Is it going to land in the left ditch? Will it just keep rolling and go up the hill on the other side a little bit and come back? So the further that ball gets away from me, the less I can predict it's, it's resting spot. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does on my end. I mean, yeah, it just increases the probability, I guess.
13: So I guess, and in that case, yeah, it could be probability unless people are yeah. trying to kick the ball away from a goal, like in soccer, which involves choice and skill and all these other. But just a ball rolling down a hill with no other thing. So anyways, Matt, did that, yeah. did that make any sense at all?
10: Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of what you said, I totally resonates with me. Um, like th- th- ideas of yeah I do believe in of course, in free will, um, but then if like a, a lot more people are uh, directing consciousness in one direction, then it, there's more probability that like will work out. I think to me, I kind of relate this to the media or um, mm-hmm. uh, you know also let's say some Hollywood films with predictive programming, for example, you put out an idea into the collective consciousness, a lot of people understand it, and then it helps direct the narrative into kind of that direction
13: um, yeah, or even that notion they've talked about um where like radio was discovered within a week in three different spots of the, the world without communication between the three scientists. This is just a kind of fabricated example from something that's a little bit true. So maybe, so how did that idea float around, you know? So is there, is there just a good idea pool and three people happen to tune into a particular invention or a particular concept within a week of each other, completely separated from each other by physical communication. You know, that kind of thing I find interesting. So I definitely believe there's a, uh, you know, a collective pool and the more people that agree with it, the more energy, the more attention, the more momentum that that pool gets. And we could even go so far as to say, that's why people are trying to influence us, what products we buy, what beliefs we hold, who we vote for. You know, if, if there was all this effort going into changing our mind and influencing us, we have we have to assume someone somewhere knows that minds can be changed. And by doing so, future tra- trajectories are altered.
0: What are the coolest experiments of that or practical cases of that? that I've seen is um, I forget when, but uh, they did a study where uh, I think they put a puzzle in like, I don't know, like the New York times or something like that. And uh, then gave the same, I'm sorry. They had, uh, it was a A B split test. They had a puzzle that a handful of people did, and then they tracked how long it took to complete the puzzle time. Then they took the same puzzle uh, to some people on Amazon and had them do it and saw the relation. And then, I think they put it in like the New York times had multiple people see it. And then they went to, um, uh, another tribe basically in the Amazon that would have no access or way to, uh, see this. And they were able to solve the same puzzle faster. So obviously not a perfect split test because it is different people <laughs> taking it and stuff like that. But it, it alluded to the fact that, yeah, some sort of collective unconscious that, um, you could pull information from and, I'm sure we all are doing that all the time anyway. So yeah, maybe that limits kind of future predictability of things uh, because of the group and collective conscious, but
10: um, I mean, yeah, all interesting regardless. I'm not really going to like start a new debate or anything, but especially when it comes to elections with, you know, some uh, ideas flowing around that, for example, in an election there can be election fraud, right? So yeah, um, Perhaps if you remote view, for example, something like that in the future, and at that point um, moment in time, one, one candidate may have you know looked like it was like the, the data coming back would have said this candidate is more likely to win or that's the way that uh, maybe things are heading. But the idea to maybe uh, <laughs> um, if something was going on behind the scenes, let's say, then that changes everything and creates a new time kind of way that time goes. I don't know. Absolutely. It's probably easier to remote view fish in the future, yeah. To kind of summarize, I think.
6: How accurate who would someone have to get with their precognition to be able to disprove this entire theory that you've been talking about? I what, w- what level yeah, of accuracy the- because you could break this entire idea if you had a certain level of accuracy with precognition, couldn't you?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. If you were a hundred percent accurate all the time, then I think it would, it would show that
6: probability doesn't even matter. What about 95? Does that break it? Uh, What's the level? What's the threshold that you say, you know what, we're probably wrong about this idea of probabilistic future.
13: Because Are you leading me to a evidence. certain, uh,
6: <laughs> I'm not,
13: I'm not, I'm no, looking okay, for, okay. A, I'm
6: looking for uh, a bright line. That's what I'm looking no, for. I, I would have to say
0: I'm kind of black and white. I'd say hundred percent. I mean, if you're 99%, it still leaves room for probability affecting. Uh, but then again, what's 100% like, did you get the shade of red, right? Was it more a firehouse red? No,
6: like no, opinion? I'm referring, or- I guess I'm referring to, uh, like, can you predict outcomes of future events? And those are pretty, usually pretty binary. You're either right or you're wrong on those types of things.
0: So you are talking about more from the perspective of like ARV and like, yeah, you sure. were talking about the horse races before. So maybe we'll go back to like the horse race thing. So exactly, it's still a biological kind of thing, but there's a different outcome. That's really probabilistic. Um, Right.
6: Or sports game.
0: <sighs> yeah. Or um, which
6: ball, if you roll two balls that are exactly the same down a hill, like Russell was talking about, which mm-hmm. ball hits the bottom first? Like you'd say that's probabilistic, mm-hmm. but what if what if you give the task a viewer and what's the level of accuracy of getting the correct and answer?
0: And twenty eight you know, out of thirty, they get it right.
6: Yeah. Does that break your entire idea? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe. I think there was a story from Lynn Buchanan, I think,
0: where he was playing uh, roulette, I want to say. And uh, he, was hit, he was hitting all these, the right colors and the numbers. Um, yep. And then uh, finally he got frustrated from his success and he's like, screw it, black uh, or whatever color. I don't play roulette. So he picked a color that he didn't realize was on the roulette wheel <laughs> and he still got it right. Um, so, That's yeah, funny. that I think would break.
6: I've done like that big. I've really there, yeah. It's I've in my own experience it saturates pretty quickly, but you can use muscle testing for colors in roulette, usually pretty reliably, four to five times in a row. I've seen multiple people do it. What are you talking about like done training your
0: finger to twitch on a certain outcome? Or?
6: I mean the easiest one is you just use your weight. You just shift your weight, say to your left foot if it's gonna be red, you shift mm-hmm. your weight. You're just, just like browsing, mm-hmm. you know, it's where you're uh I
9: haven't heard of that, uh, i thought of that.
8: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, I've seen many people do it who I <laughs> just told them how to do it and they, they did like three or four correct in a row, multiple times, sometimes up to six times in a row. See, and
0: that's so it's interesting. Like, well, that's not That shouldn't into, be possible, right? <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting about that is no matter how far into the future, the probabilities are the same, ultimately, because uh, you have X amount of options in a roulette wheel. Uh, so I would think if probability, and the complexity of probability decreases the uh, accuracy, then I would think that a roulette wheel, regardless of which point in time, since the, prob- the statistical outcome of each color would really always be the same, um, I think that'd be an interesting test on that then.
6: Yeah, maybe taking an LSD while doing it makes it better. Who knows? Just
0: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're Joe Rogan, DMT, right? There you go. <laughs> no, that's interesting.
1: I don't know. Bingo. <laughs> okay, guys. We're approaching, well, we're over two and a half hours going on for three hours. Are, are there any last questions before we round up for the evening? Excellent. Okay, well, we'll leave it there then. And I want to thank everyone for their participation tonight. It was a really interesting discussion, lots of really interesting topics. Uh, next week, uh, I think I may have John Vivanco on uh, giving a talk on on his, his experiences. Uh, nice, and, yeah, Great. I confirmed that this evening, so that should be a good one as well. Awesome. Anyway, thank you everyone for turning up and uh, you know sharing all your info with us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you very soon. So take care and have a good weekend. Thank you, Tess.
0: You too. Nice talking again. Bye-bye. Bye, -bye. Bye, everyone.
5: Bye. Thanks. Good night.
0: Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.